Warning, warning, warning Akko, full of dreams that shine. Lotte of the spirit line. Susie seeks a mushroom crime. Spoilers, spoilers all around. The host shall speak, or even shout, of every secret held within. This cartoon we shall soon begin. The views presented that you doth hear from our mouths to ear to ear are individual, not so quizzical, do not represent dub talk as a whole. Round about the anime go, full of sights of splendid show. Lively brooms and talking fish, a magic rod to grant one's wish. Resurrections, final tests, lovelorn dance to seek one's best. Mushroom dreams and robot fight, climb the tree to seek the light. All of this and, and so, so much, much more shall, shall wait behind this door. Enter all into the mania. It's Little Wit Academia! Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the world of magic. Tonight, the fine wizards and witches of the Dub Talk School of Dubbing are here to present to you a show that many of us have been anticipating the chance to cover for quite some time now. That show is the television adaptation of Studio Trigger's acclaimed. I first love Space Patrol, Luluco! I love Kill a Kill! It's the best show ever! This is actually a tale that predates even both of those shows. Is it the story of your conception? Wait, 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 wait. Is this Daikon 4? We're finally gonna get to talk about Daikon 4? Aw, oh, dude, I love Daikon 4. What's a Daikon 4? It, it, it's, it's like a Daikon B4, but. I it's believe. After the Corporal punishment is in order if the five professors would allow me to finish my introduction. Oh, yes. Yes, please, professor. Please dip me in acid. Oh, yeah. Put me on the iron rack. Oh, yeah. Do that. <laughs> We're talking about witches torture, right? Speaking of witches, tonight we are covering the television adaptation of Studio Trigger's Little Witch Academia. Fellow students, I am Professor Classy Spartan, otherwise known as Andrew. I teach our course on My Hero Academia Analysis, as well as being a historian of all things Studio Trigger. Uh, joining us in tonight's panel is Professor Noah Clue, our resident expert in global animation, as well as an advocate for Western cartoons. It's all about that squash and stretch, baby. You cannot make a good cartoon unless you master the 12 techniques set down by the nine old men of uh, Disney. Professor uh, Jet, a.k.a. Divine Nega, is our professor in all things shonen bottle manga. You're a wizard, Aku. And finally, Professor Queen Era, a.k.a. Megan is our resident academic in all things Fujoshi Studies, 
And you can look forward to her new fall lectures in regards to Ancient Magus Bride sometime in the fall. I love you, Elias and Chisei. I can't wait. I'm sorry, have you seen that trailer? Have you heard that opening? Oh my god, it's so good. Like, so this they didn't mess Meg, it up and Meg, give Meg, us a like, copy Professor, opening? Professor, give it time. Megan, isn't it awesome that you give get to meet time. one of the voice actresses at A-Fest? You, you rub professor? salt in my wound. Professor? And I'm gonna cry that I had I couldn't actually meet her Professor, I, Professor, I know you're excited, but please, please do your best to contain your excitement. This is what happens when you throw a bone to one of the professors, I know. I mean, it could be worse. We could have Professor Hardy, the one of the study of Final Fantasies, who keeps a bunch of weird Tifa pillows in his room. And they're all kind of crusty. Crusty, indeed. <laughs> but... Before we dive headfirst into tonight's discussion, there's a few little addendums we've added to uh, tonight's panel. First things first. Number one, we will do our best to not bring up the elephant in the rule and discussing our thoughts on Netflix in regards to anime and simulcasting. That is a discussion for another time, but we will do our best not to to dive too deep into this as that does not affect the quality of the show or stuff. Secondly, we will do our best to pronounce things proper both for the characters and for the voice actors and crew's names, but we are very likely to fail and fall short in a couple of places. Number three, there are several other dubbed languages for the Little Witch Academia TV anime but in regards to tonight's episode, we will be strictly focusing on the English dub adaptation. no habla español. I only watched the German version of this. What do you mean the English version? You should... I can't do this anymore. Can't we switch to the German one instead? Okay, if you think I'm going to look up research for five different actors for the same list of characters, you are out of your mind, good sir. Believe me. Perhaps that is a discussion for another today, but for tonight's episode, we will be focusing strictly on the English dub. And finally, this one's a little extra addendum that we're... This isn't entirely necessary, but we're going to do our best to try this. Tonight, this is a family show, and we ourselves family. do our best to keep this one particularly appropriate. What does that mean? We will do our best to not use swears, profanity, and witches' curses. We very well may fail at some point in tonight's uh, presentation, but God, we will so try. We're going to give it the good old college try. Anyway, time out. By the way, Noah and I have actual money on this between each other, in which if oh, yeah. I don't curse... He has to buy me Flying Witch. And if I don't... And, and, and if... Yeah, if I don't curse, he buys me Flying Witch. And if you don't curse, what do I buy you? You have to buy me, not just season one, not just season two, uh, but no. all. I only said season to, one. How? Uh, no, no, because I thought I had to get you the limited edition version of Flying there Witch. There is so no that's limited... What, no, you only have to buy me the basic professors, edition. Professors, Fair enough. professors, professors. You have to buy me... Well, at least one season of, of Show by Rock. There we go. Uh, 
yeah. you don't want Hardy to bring is, out if, the stick. By the, the way, stick. if I don't do it, if I don't do it, Hardy has to buy me the limited edition of Servamp of all shows. All right. And by that contrast, he has to buy me Samurai Jack season five on Blu-ray. Anyways, now that we've watched our panelists resort to petty gambling in the presence of their head (laughs) professor. You never said no gambling. I mean, I know Kakegori isn't out for another couple months. Now, as for the for those of you who are not familiar with the story of Little Witch Academia, it goes as follows. In a time where magic is on the decline in society, Ak- Atsuko Kagari is a cheerful girl who enters Luvanoda Academy. Ah, blah, blah, I can't read. Luvanoda? Awesome. In, a, in a time... Yeah, let's try that again. In a time where magic is on the decline amid society, Atsuko Kagari is a cheerful girl who enters Luna Nova Academy in order to accomplish her dream of becoming a witch like her idol, Shiny Chariot. Shiny Chariot is a famous witch who disappeared from public view many years ago. On her way to school, Kagari meets the kind Lotte Janssen and the mischievous Susie Monbavaran, and the three become friends as they share a bedroom in campus. At the academy, Atsuko soon discovers she is in serious disadvantage compared to the other girls, since she doesn't come from a magical family and is required to learn the magical curriculum from scratch. Having found an item that once belonged to Chariot, Atsuko must discover how to activate and properly use the mysterious shiny rod, as she hopes it might lead to finding out what has truly happened to her vanished idol. That was a much longer synopsis than I planned that to be. Thank you, Mal. It is a 25-episode ep- series, admittedly, so they do cram quite a bit of plot in there. And this is why I write my own for every show I do, but... Yeah. With all th- that was the only thing I forgot to put in here. But with that being said, let's get let's get started. Tonight we will begin discussion with the ADR directors and writers for this particular project. What's interesting about the way the casting for this worked was the first half of the show the credits were a little unclear. Second half made it much more clear who's who and what's what. But Thankfully, Twitter exists, and directors and writers and actors are more than willing to announce who they are and what they're doing. And from what we've been able to gather, the ADR directors for this particular show are Laura Post and Lucian Dodge. As for their other act, as for their other directing credits, currently we have nothing on zero, their other... absolutely zero. Now, give and take. This is probably not their first time directing a project in general, but as far as we are currently aware, this is our first time covering these two in the directing positions. So, it's interesting to see. As for writers, uh, there's a couple of writers throughout this show in general. Nobody's been credited as a main writer, but... Uh, 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 and uh, the credits do kind of say Erica Mendes. Okay, I was getting to that, but all right. Um, One of the more uh, regular writers for this show is Erica Mendez, as well as uh, ADR director Lucian Dodge. Also easy to discuss because we don't have a lot of prior knowledge to their other writing credits as far as we're aware either. It's 
a surprisingly fresh pool of people in the behind the scenes for the show and that's kind of interesting actually so i now ask of this fresh blood of actors turned behind the scenes crew what do you professors think who would like to go first um i'll go i guess um Alright, so I'll be upfront and say I wasn't really too big on the dub for the OVAs, and I thought they sounded a little bit too rough. Uh, so I wasn't really sure how to feel about that same team coming back for the TV series. Uh, but having said that, I think this is a definite improvement. I mean, it has a few rough patches, and some of the performances sounded a little bit stilted in the beginning, but I felt the voice direction improving with every episode. And uh, it really smoothed out uh, the further we went in. Uh, you can really tell this one is a passion project, and for their first time of directing, I think uh, Lucia Dodds and Laura Post did a pretty bang-up job, and I'm interested in seeing what they do in the future. Uh, Script-wise, I think things worked out pretty well, too. Uh, I mean, there were a couple of times where I thought the dialogue felt a little bit too wordy for a kid show, but... It never felt too unnatural, and uh, well, it actually turned out to be a little bit more liberal than I thought it was going to be. Uh, compared to Netflix's subtitles, it never really got to the point where I felt it might be hurting the context of the original script. Um, so overall, I didn't have any problems with that, and I'm interested in seeing Erica Mendez and Lucy Dodd's script more stuff in the future. You know, well, we definitely know that Erica's going to be scripting a lot more because, she, as you said, Twitter exists. And she has been mentioning that apparently after Little Witch Academia, she has been getting quite a bit of more work in the writing sphere. And I'm more than curious to see what she's going to be working on. We know of one, but on the off chance we do cover that one, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. But let's just say that uh, because this is a... Okay, now correct me if I'm wrong, but all the cast members in this live in the in the California region, correct? They are in the yes. California, yes. Okay, so if there is something... California is kind of a state, Noah. Is it? I thought it was more like a universe. California okay, is say, its own entity. Well, I didn't want to say just Los Angeles because I you know, that'd be like discriminatory if they lived in like outside of the Los Angeles area. They are in the state of California. California's pretty big. Okay, but you know what I mean. Like, yes, they're not Houston locals. They're not the kind who would yeah. jump back and forth between Houston and Dallas over to California. I actually do believe uh, one of the actors we'll discuss tonight actually is on a current uh, Funimation simuldub, actually. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, we will get to that later. Yes. So, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Megan, what did you think about the writing and the... I think that the writing was probably more one of my more favorite aspects of the show. Um, I didn't get the chance to watch this in Japanese or uh, beforehand because I kind of just watched the English uh, when one part came out and then the second part came out and the next day I went to Anime Fest. And then when I came back, I had to watch um, a couple other shows. And then uh, this thing called Hurricane Irma decided to come. Uh, and traipsed through my state uh, trying to kill Jamal and I and the rest of the millions of people that live in this state. Uh, thankfully, I am okay and my family's okay. We, as somebody said, I think every Hispanic mom in Tampa grabbed their clanchita and batted the hurricane away from the city. Um, so I, I was safe. Um, directing... But the important question is, did you, Naruto, run into the hurricane? 
I did not Naruto run into the hurricane. I did not limit. Did you? I did not limit break into the hurricane. I did not moan uncomfortably like Alba into the hurricane. Oh. I did not blow my fan. I did not turn my fan towards the door to blow the hurricane back into the Atlantic. I, I respect all I those. Not, did, I did Megan, not. Megan. Super did Saiyan shoot? scream. I did not shoot into the hurricane. <laughs> How <laughs> many somebody, more of these are there? But somebody did, and they actually died. Um, okay. Oh, even after that warning? Yes. All right. Wow. But when somebody online did, in fact, take a tape, put album moaning onto it as a remix, put it in a Walkman, and threw it outside <laughs> the front door. I, well, I Something must have worked. That. All right. Um, I'm sorry but, I derailed that for a second. No, it's, I'm, it's okay. I'm <laughs> really glad to hear that you're okay and you're And Jamal okay. is okay too, guys. So don't be, like, freaked out that Jamal's not okay because he's in Florida too. Um, Directing-wise, I will say I have a little bit more issues with because I do feel like there are stiff performances in certain cases. I feel like there are vocal choices for one character in particular that I have a lot of issues with. And if you've seen other episodes um, that I've been on where we've dealt with certain characters that look like this character, you'll understand. Um, But I don't think this is a bad dub. I will say, though, this is not the best dub Netflix has done. And with that, I'm a little bit disappointed, especially for the the quality of show that this is. Uh, yeah, I can agree with that. That's fair, fair point. Fair I point. definitely. I'm sorry. Now, do you is, think in no way, did... shape, and form is this dub better than Seven Deadly Sins? Well, it's also a different studio completely in itself. Uh, yeah. Seven Deadly yeah. Sins is a Bang Zoom production, and Shin. those guys have known what they've been doing for quite a long time. This but one my... seems like a relatively newer studio. But even then, my thing is this. I expect a little bit better for the amount of money that Netflix is going to have over another studio. And if they decided to cheap out and move to another studio over Bang Zoom, I feel like that's kind of a disappointment. Okay, I'm probably going to say this. It is probably not a money issue as to why they do not use Bang Zoom regularly. It's, okay. The issue is mostly comes down to that Bang Zoom does not like to time up stuff. They did it There's in the Dora and... Uh, Alex Von David and Tony Oliver pretty much said never again, so I'm pretty okay. sure that's why Netflix uses other studios. There's a lot okay. more factors at play too, probably. Oh, okay, but... then I didn't know. Okay. Now here's a now here's a question for you guys. Because this uh this show was released online in a very different format. It was instead of being released week to week like we're used to, it was held off until we're the whole show was done. About no, we're not, we're not talking about that. No, no, that. Let, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. My question to you is do you think that the quality of the dub suffered because of the release format of dubbing 13 episodes all at once and then releasing them, then no, dubbing the next? No, 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 I don't, I don't like, think that affected it like at they, all. It sounded like they had already recorded the whole thing by the time the first half went up. It's like they were recording it all around like the same time, it sounds like. It's like they were dubbing another uh, show. It was a regular cycle, and it just got released in the Netflix format, where it's like as soon as they had like most of it or half of it done, they released it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a rush job. They were working on it consistently and regularly. It sounds like for at least a couple of months in between. 
Exactly. Okay, so I want to make sure that if we uh, call out issues with the directing or writing or actors, it's not a time crunch issue we're having. We're talking about. It may just come down to the individual players. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, so what would you say your up. thoughts are? This is okay. I will be upfront, and I'm going to be nice, Andrew. Don't worry. But um, to all you listeners out there, uh, all of you who uh, really, really like this show, you're going to really like Andrew. And for all you people out there who had some issues with the show and, and don't quite think it's the anime of the year, I am going to be your favorite person. Because me I'm going to be the dissenting. And, well, okay, me and Megan will be slightly more dissenting. To be fair. Slightly. To be fair on the directing and writing. I, okay, so this is not my favorite dub of the year, exactly. That's fair. And I don't... But I don't think I can blame that on the directing and the writing because this show is full of quite a few archetypes, of Japanese archetypes of based on the character designs, their Japanese actors lends themselves to similarly archetypal English adaptation, an English adaptation. So with that, I think the director and the writer did great with the material that they had. They infuse energy into characters when they get excited. They don't cop out in the wild take moments. They do infuse drama in some of the characters who are a lot more um, reserved, uh, like Lote or Ursula. And they go over the top with some of the characters who need to go over the top, um, like Amanda. So I don't really think I have any qualms with the writing or the directing specifically. There's just going to be some individual cast issues that I think were less well-directed, but only because the material they were given wasn't the strongest to begin with. If they wanted to get much more liberal and perhaps infuse more uh, more. Uh, meat, more meat into the dub than what was actually in the original Japanese, they would have strayed further away from what was there to begin with. So for what they had to begin with, I give them four out of five stars. All right. As for myself, um, I will admit, it is not a perfect production. There are some characters and some decisions that are a little odd and perhaps not the top tier quality you would think but even then everything i hear and see about this show and even knowing that it is a fairly like it is a newer group of people behind the scenes but it is a group that is extremely caring and passionate about the material in and of itself so it's one of those things where it's like i acknowledge that there are issues and flaws with some of the deliveries or maybe like even some of the line reads and whatnot but even then, I very much can tell that this is a passion project, as you said, and I think that really resonates with me when it comes to covering this stuff, because I am somebody that was very familiar with the Japanese voices and stuff. So going into this dub, I, actually, I, I hadn't even seen the dubs for the OVAs, actually, since I heard those were a little rough. So I was cautious going into this dub, and I was surprised in some areas. There were some characters and performances that were a little weaker than I would have liked, and there's some that I was really concerned about that actually pleasantly surprised me. So, all in all, it's a solid, solid dub. There is one element that gets a little lost in the translation, is that Akko is Japanese, like, her character is definitively Japanese, Then the story is supposed to take place in a Euro nondescript European setting, like, the actual creators of the show went to Europe to get like castle designs and they wanted to give it a 
almost like a Hogwarts feel to it. So that wonderment of traveling to this foreign country may be a little lost on us because we're a little more used to Western civilization. Setting. I'm not really sure it's that lost. It's a matter of being a normal person going into an extremely magical, mystical environment. It's not that it's a localization thing or whatnot. It's totally understandable depending on the setting and just being that a uh, the I lost my turn. Just being a normal person going to a magical world is something right. that you can relate to. It's not a matter of boundaries or nationality. Oh, and definitely. I, absolutely. I'm just saying that that one element of it is lost on us. There is still amazement and wonderment to be had in it. It's a, it's a little lessened to us uh, silly Americans. Sorry, I thought my fan turned on for a second. All right. Uh, I'm your number one fan, Andrew. Yeah, uh, you wish, buddy. Anyways... Now, with all that out of the way, now I think it's time we discuss some of the other professors at this school. Uh, there's a number of incidental one-off characters, but tonight we will be covering uh, the two professors that probably have the most weight and memorability throughout the entire story. Uh, that belongs to Professor Anne Finnelin and Principal Miranda Holbrook. Uh, Finnelin is the resident, um... Word that rhymes with witch. Word that rhymes right? Yes! She is <laughs> the resident witch with a capital W, but she's basically the Severus, Severus Snape kind of character. Well, she's uh, not really... Turn to page 397. Not necessarily like the cold, calculating person, but the most... Seemingly, she, <laughs> she does not get along with our main character at all and takes very, very uh, personally the fact that this kid who can't even ride a broom properly is in an established magical institute. Uh, Megan, I am going to have to correct you here. I believe the page he said to turn to in book three was 394, actually. I would like to revoke your right to make Harry Potter references for the rest of the I night. I need to now co commit Sudoku. And on the complete opposite spectrum, we have Principal Holbrook, who is the kindest, sweetest little old lady that probably overlooks some hardcore blasphemy in the t the magic world but you know what she probably believes in our main characters more than some of the other professors though none of them hold a candle to pisces because pisces is the best uh the actresses uh playing both of these characters uh playing professor finnelin is uh karen collar uh karen collar has credits for Dust and Elysian Tale as Flohop and Onietta, and I don't have much else for her. Uh, for Professor Holbrook, uh, she is played by Jessica G. George. Uh, Jessica G. George has played such characters as Kiriko Tanaka from Kanokon, uh, Prisma from Sailor Moon, Pets from Sailor Moon Crystal, Pan from Fire Emblem Awakening, and my personal favorite, Sakura Ogami from Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc. So, uh, who would like to go first, and who should we discuss first? Um, I didn't have too many thoughts on them. I mean, I thought they both sounded uh, pretty fine. I mean, I was kind of a little bit more inclined towards Professor Holbrook just for, like, 
the obvious reasons. And I kind of really liked her whole uh, side story with Ghost Dad. I thought that was really cute. I mean, and as far as like fiddling goes, as I mean, I mean, her character was kind of what you'd expect. But I mean, as I mean, but I kind of liked her in stages, like as as I mean, like her whole like little mini conflict with Croy in the second half was kind of uh, handled pretty uh, was handled pretty well. I thought. I mean, I like I thought they didn't like overplay it too much. Well. I mean, I guess as much as what Ekin thought, but, uh, I mean, I was pretty happy with these two for the most part. I didn't have any serious thoughts. Okay, Megan. Um, Finian did a decent, uh, a good job of being witchy and mean and grouchy to Akko, and I think that it got across pretty well. Um, I don't feel like that character develops much out of that persona, not really, no. So, she honestly kind of nails what I expected out of a mean, witchy, grumpy person. Um, and then, uh, Holbrook is the the nice, older witch, right? Yes. She, she does a really good job. Um, she kind of gets one moment to herself when uh, her father, Sans the Skeleton, um, comes back from the dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could basically replace the entirety of that episode soundtrack from with that guy's theme from Undertale, and you will never know the difference. Look at you with the big funny bone on you. <laughs> I'm doing the finger guns. It's hilarious because Toby Fox does the music to that, and Hive Swap finally comes out tomorrow. Um, I remember Homestuck. I remember that Megalomania was from Homestuck first. I try um, to suppress that fact. I entire language that people are speaking. I drink I to forget. Get. I drink to forget Homestuck. Everybody <laughs> drinks to forget Homestuck. Homestuck. I is... cosplayed from Homestuck. Anyways, I that used to is... cosplay Nepeta. Nepeta, best character. Uh, but no, I really liked Holbrook's voice. She kind of had that gentle grandma voice. Um, and she did get some development, unlike some of the other teachers, like ripoff Madam Hooch from, uh, ripoff New Jersey Jets coach Madam Hooch, uh, from there. Um, so I think they were, they were honestly two really good background character voices, so that's that. Alright, uh, Mr. Clue? I'm not really sure that the uh, the writers knew exactly what they were doing with these characters, but because uh, a lot of the uh, the characters have to be very archetypal, we need to have these type of characters. We need to have one stuck-up, by-the-rules, no-nonsense teacher who will take your head and smack it into the book if you get the question wrong again. And we need to have the, the kinder female Dumbledore character to balance out the maternalness a little bit. As far as the acting on it goes... It, it, it's okay. It, it's okay. It's uh, not really. Uh, n nothing's done very wrong. I definitely think that um, Jessica did better than Karen did, uh, but only because Jessica got uh, more emotional moments, especially in that scene where the skeleton comes back to life. And it's like, why couldn't these guys have been the whole show? This is like, I, I want to know more about this guy. Like, I want to know about his pirate backstory and like, did he ever have an encounter with like the pirates of the Caribbean? And there's like a whole story in there that would just. Meant to guess about. 
But as far as yeah, filling out these background roles goes, they they fill out their stereotypes, their archetypes pretty well, and that that's about it. I believe the term you're looking for is their tropes, not their stereotypes. That's a that's a that's a good enough term. Okay, I just wanted to point that out. Um, as for uh, Professor Finian, um, yeah, she does really good at sounding so stuck up and be like. <gasps> I never would do that in a fine establishment. How prude. <laughs> mm. You know, kind of like that. Uh, just with a little uh, stick upper behind. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, we, we've all been to Catholic school. I think we know. I was an Lordy. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Noah, do you forget Don't. that Andrew is Jewish? Don't make me get out the with, ruler. Honestly, th- I can appreciate a good... Um, I can appreciate a good little gotcha moment to the Catholic religion. Anyways, um... That's the entirety of our religion, though. Anyways, uh... Uh, Jessica G. George. I'm not as familiar with her work in particular. Like, I know her from Fire Emblem, and I especially know her from Danganronpa. So that's why I was legitimately surprised to hear that actress was the one uh, voicing this character because I was so used to being, like, the gruffer, tougher people. So it's kind of fascinating hearing her play this sweet old lady. And she does really well in the part. Like, I could feel the sincerity, the earnestness, and the genuine, like, emotion and caring when she's talking to these kids, when she's reconnecting with her dad. And I do agree. That whole episode was really sweet and kind of cool. I was like, where are they going with this weird little skeleton man? And that was a nice twist where it was just like, oh, I'm going to kill this monster. Oh, no, I was that monster. What? <laughs> it's like, oh. It is, yeah, it's such a gotcha moment. It's, it's, almost like a, it's almost like a lost Kino's Journey episode where it feels like um, it's like it's a big twist at the end. But I just you don't wish feel it would have betrayed. given pasta. Ah, look at us with our dated references. Hey, uh, Undertale's out on PS4 now. Yes, and y'all can go play it. And I probably should finish that too soon now that nobody's uh, croaking about it so much anymore. What's a video game? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, that's the thing people play. But, yeah, no, I think uh, both of these actresses do really good with the material they're given, and they are memorable background characters. Okay, before <clears throat> we go on, because we're not swearing tonight, Roots just retweeted this, and it's a picture of a jacked Winnie the Pooh that says, Sorry, sir, this is a Christian server, so no <laughs> swearing. <laughs> uh, you you, you want to just put that in like the disclaimer or something uh, <laughs> okay um anyway I, I sent it to the group the twitter group chat but it's nice. it's oddly fitting but i mean like this winnie the pooh is jacked he's got like he's got like a, he's, got a a red, he's got like a red wife beater uh-huh shirt with that looks like it has cut off sleeves well it sounds he's like different more than ripped. regular shirt he's like ripped, right. more ripped than mario is by All the right. way we learned that mario has All nipples right. today you can't see the nipples all Megan. right all right i told you Andy, you gotta rein these people in i think it's time for us we, we were getting a little crude right there i think it's time <clears throat> we, we put said a no little... swearing not no ludity uh, okay <laughs> 
Miss, which is worse. Miss Megan, allow me to finish my segues, for Pete's sake. <clears throat> it's time for us to get a little classy in here, you know what I'm saying? A little more refined, here, gentlemanly. It's time to talk about the rich boys. Uh, we will be discussing uh, Andrew Hombridge uh, and Frank. Uh, <laughs> Andrew Hanbridge is the son of the rich, esteemed Hanbridge state, uh, destined, who is supposed to be a great politician when he grows up and is attending an all-boys ma- all uh, rich school. And Frank is his best friend, and I don't think I have a surname for him. His name is just Frank. It's, just fra- it's Filthy Frank. So he, he, he's, he's just Prince, you know? No, it's just, just, no, it's just Filthy Frank. By the way, before I go on, I'd like to take a moment and say it is weirdly cathartic to hear in, like, a show everybody going on about how handsome, smart, intelligent, and hot oh Andrew is. It's one of those... Is your hat swelling it, through the roof? It's, it kind of raises my ego up a little bit, where it's like... Guys, I can see his head from all the way where from Where I can out hear uh, Akko just going <laughs> up and being like... You see it from out here! Where I just hear Akko being like, are you the handsome Andrew? And I'm just like, yes! Yes, I am! <laughs> Thank you Now I know much. why Andrew likes this show so much. Okay. It all makes sense now. Okay, you... You sit right down, good sir. I am not that. Take a minute, easy just advice. sit right there, and I will tell you how I am the one named Andre. I messed <laughs> that Fresh Prince reference. That was the worst and whitest Fresh Prince reference what? ever. I'm going to go hurt myself by remembering that Seven Mortal Sins is a show that exists. All right, before we completely take these rails, let's rein it back in. Um,. The actors who are playing these characters, uh, the one playing Frank is Benjamin Diskin. Wait, you mean it's not Filthy Frank from the internet? No, it is not Filthy Frank from the internet. Uh, Benjamin Diskin, or Ben Diskin, you might know uh, for such performances as Bon from The Seven Deadly Sins, uh, Joseph Joestar from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Satoru Fujinuma from Erased, and... Sai from Naruto Shippuden. As well as, to go with the Studio Trigger theme, he is the voice of Takarada from Kill a Kill. You know, THE Takarada. I can't repeat the line! I know you can't, but if you've ever seen Kill a Kill, and you've ever seen um, a character named Takarada, let's just say... Very fun. Takarada is a gift to the world, and somebody put together a compilation of the best of the Kill the Kill dub. And when I got to Takarada, it convinced me to go actually watch the show because I had been steadfast on never watching Kill the Kill. I'm glad you changed that. And I'm glad I did because it is probably one of the most cathartic shows I've ever watched. Okay. As for. Handsome Andrew Hanbridge, that would be our ADR director, Lucian Dodge. Lucian Dodge, you might know for such shows as Jafar from Magi the Labyrinth of Magic, Waver Velvet from Fate Zero, Norba Shino from Gundam Iron Blood Orphans, Kota Fuji- Fujiki from God Eater, as well as the rival Blue from Pokemon Origins. 
Now, uh, what did we think of both of these performances? Jet? Okay, uh, well, I mean, as far as Vendition goes, his character is just kind of there, so I don't have too many thoughts on it. I mean, but as always with Vendiskin, it, it doesn't sound exactly like any of his other roles. He, I mean, he does his best with what he's got, and it's a pretty fun little performance for a background character. I kind of like Frank. Uh, I mean, uh, as far as Lucian Dodds goes, um, I thought he did really fine with the material, too. I mean... As, I mean, a couple of times where I thought he sounded a little stiff, but I mean, I thought that fit the character pretty well because Andrew was a very stiff character, and uh, I really kind of liked his character arc over the course of the show, how he, like, how he kind of, like, changed his perspective and made upon meeting Akko, and I thought the two of them kind of had a nice little chemistry. So, uh, uh Megan. I'm sorry, I'll go next, and I am so sorry to the hundreds of hundreds of Trigger fanboys and fangirls and Andrew fanboys and fangirls. Uh, I don't think this character needed to exist. I don't like this character at all. Oh, um, Shots fired! Shots fired! That has nothing to be a, being a Trigger fanboy. Okay, but... All right, it's continue. a criticism towards the show, that's why. Yeah, and and it is as holy. much as there are very nice people who will take criticisms to their shows, there are also people who are frothing at the mouth, now getting pit torques, and attempting <laughs> to locate me via some weird internet <clears throat> logic to come find me and murder me. Get on with it! <clears throat> Get on with it! Sorry. Um, but... I I think I like Frank's performance. Frank is the doofy best friend character, which is all Frank kind of is, is the doofy best friend character. And Ben Diskins has shown himself to be able to do everything from dramatic to doofy best friend, so it fits here. Um, I will agree that Lucian Dodge is kind of stiff, but I think that's more the character's fault. Um, I mean... Andrew gets better towards the end, but then again, I feel like the character was shoehorned in to give Akko a potential love interest when she didn't need one, but that's that, so I could take or leave Lucian's Dodge performance. It's not the worst thing I've heard, but it's not spectacular either. Noah? Um, well, I'm going to be the one on the other side of the pitchforks, actually, because I'm also in agreement that both Frank and Andrew didn't really need to be in the show. So, on that note, uh, I don't really have much to say about uh, Ben Diskin's Frank, just because I don't quite remember him, any lines from the character. I remember him being there. I remember th there is always that right-hand man in every show. I do remember show. him getting stung by the love bee and falling in love with Lote. That was probably the most entertaining thing he does, and that's it. I oh, that one was Frank? That, okay. That whole episode was quite the experience in and of itself, because everybody fell in love with Shoujo variations of themselves as well as diana uh, fell in love with herself and that she, was the best diana part. fell in love <laughs> with she fell in love with akko too which i'm sure the shippers had a fun time and then she fell in love with herself which boy there's plenty of jokes she goes there. full justin zoolander uh, <laughs> is there anything wrong with being really 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 good looking who is this, a dub for ants? I mean, if you're going to do a parody of A Midsummer Night's Dream, which is what that episode was, then yeah, you might as well go all wacky with it. All right. Um, yeah. And so, the, the uh, yeah, the, I don't. I wish I had nicer things to say about um, uh, Lucian, Lucian Dodge's performance, because he does a good job. Like, there is this archetype of a princely character that is in a lot of 
magical girl shows. And I'm not just talking like shows with witches, but I mean like magical girl shows tuxedo because mask. The, there has to be a tuxedo mask character. There has to be a whatever his name was in Cardcaptor Sakura, or there has to be a Excuse Muto me, from Lee Princess Tutu. Excuse me, Ron was a Satan actually plot productive. I'm not, I'm not saying that they aren't all necessary. I'm saying that the archetypes exist in, is written into the show all the time. Like, I, I'd be far from the first to say that, like, Muto was not necessary to Princess Tutu. He very much was. But he's also the same type of character that... Actually, now I think about it, um, I think uh, Fakir was probably a lot closer to uh, Andrew's character in Princess Tutu. Honestly, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah, so, so Lucian Dodge, you done did good, man. You, you were given a role with not a lot of meat to it. And I do like, like, I'll give him this. I do like the fact that he, like, he does know how to portray a guy who's supposed to have a stoic personality. But you can kind of see, like, his personality cracking at uh, liking this this crazy Genki Akko girl who's not, like, you would think wouldn't be his type of girl. But it, it kind of works for him. And he, he's not really sure how to cope with that. That is the most interesting thing about watching Andrew in the show. I actually, like, I get the criticism there, but I do think he is a fine character, and he's, like I said, his arc throughout is pretty fun and interesting, because in general, there always is, are those types of characters that are just sort of, like, forced into these dynamics, and they're not really sure if they want to be or if they want to do it because of obligation, which I do feel is a fun contrast and a... Interesting contrast to Akko, whose whole thing is that she's... she's... But that's what Diana is for. That is true, okay. But I don't think it's bad either way. It's a fair arc, regardless. I mean, Andrew does serve a a story purpose, because one of the many things the show tries to do is talk about how magic is receding in relevance. And so he kind of represents not his dad, who is clearly the guy who does not care about magic, but the, the upcoming generation and, like, how do they feel being stuck in this in between the two of them? Mm-hmm. Like, I think he is, like, an interesting character, and I do enjoy him. Um, I, I really like the way Lucian Jodge portrays him very well. He is, like, that very stiff, stoic guy, but you see the cracks you crack showing and he's showing a little more in general the more they hang out and like when he's laughing on the bench i do think it is fun as well and uh frank is fun but like i said he is goofy friend guy but he's there but he's enjoyable every time he's there and i do like ben discos and i have a little like before i had even started this show um an artist friend of ours, like one i've commissioned uh we've commissioned several dub talk pieces for uh she, shameless plug. Uh, I'm not even shamelessly plugging her. Uh, she's she's really great. She's honestly and, worth it. Yeah, no, her stuff is great. Um, I she know, really like, great. one of the things before I watched the show is that she was a huge shipper between uh, Andrew and Akko. So that was, like, prior knowledge I had of this. I was wondering, okay, what is the dynamic these two have? <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, I see it. I th- we, like they're a fun chemistry. You could argue whether necessary or not, yeah. but I do think in general some of the best stuff in the show are the character interactions and dynamics, and I do think this is one that does still work and is still compelling to me, and I think they're both performed very well. It's just woefully underfocused on. I think there's like 3 of the 25 episodes where we see the two of them together, if I'm not mistaken. I think there's a couple, there might be like four or five, one, two, there's like five. It's at least five or six. 
I think it's at least the five ball or episode. Six. There's and then we don't see Andrew again until six, Amanda ten. and Akko. where he shows up for the first time, and they go to the fountain of Polaris. Yeah, there's the, the ball, episode. The ball, and then they're going uh, to the Diana. The scene with Diana's family. And, and then, then like the stuff of, where they hang out. And then he's kind of there for the entire finale. So it's like yeah, yeah, he's kind of there yeah. for the finale. So. Okay. But the point I'm saying is I do enjoy the character. I do enjoy his character. Like, you could argue necessary to the plot, but in general, I think some of the best stuff in the show was more like the character interactions and dynamics. And I think him and Akko make a pretty good one. All right. I'll give you that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to say this before we start right now. We will do our best to try and stick more towards story stuff to the end of this episode henceforth. I say this because I feel like I have to say this. We are going to be discussing uh, two professors, two sides of the coin. Um, Professor Ursula Callistes and Professor Croy Merides. And Professor Ursula in general, the worst kept secret ever, or if you've just watched the first OVA, you would know that she is, in fact, Shiny Chariot, or as her full name is apparently, Chariot du Nord. I'm surprised somebody actually named their child Chariot, but that's, that's another matter. Which is gonna witch, man. It's, it's, a, it's Europe, you know? It's like, it, so I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow named her kid Apple. Anyways, uh, Professor Ursula, a.k.a. Chariot, is the mentor guiding figure towards Akko, while uh, Croy serves more as the antagonist? Question mark. I, I know you didn't mm. want to talk about the story really quick, but I, can I just throw it out there super fast? Uh, I'll give you f- ten seconds. I hate Croy so much. She's awesome. the worst character in the show. That's not plot relevant, but okay. Okay, that's fine. Anyways, now we will discuss uh, who is playing both of these characters. Um, Playing the voice of Ursula is Alexis Nichols. I probably said that wrong. Nichols? Nichols? I I don't know. I I thought it was pronounced like Nicholas, but I don't know. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, and I apologize if I butched that. Uh, as I'm for ass- other- I assume it's like Nicole, like the name Nicole. As for prior uh, voice roles, uh, she actually plays somebody else in Little Witch Academia. She is the voice of Barbara Parker, aka one of Diana's pot, uh, posse, um, and she doesn't have uh, any other listed uh, anime roles outside of that. And uh, Croy is played by Caitlin Elizabeth, who is also a completely fresh face in regards to anime dubbing and voice work. So, with that out of the way, uh, Jet, would you like to go? Okay, sure. All right, uh, so as far as um, Alexis goes, all right, um, so looking back at the OVAs for a second, I gotta be pretty blunt in saying that her performance was probably one of the ones that bothered me the most in that dub. Um, like, I thought she sounded pretty stiff in that version, and I wasn't 
too impressed with how she sounded here for the first couple of episodes. Uh, however, I have to say that she really came around later on. I mean, and while not like totally in love with her performance, I definitely feel like hers is the one that improved the most. And uh, like one of her finest moments for me was definitely in episode 7 when she was standing up for Akko against the other teachers. And I really kind of bought into her level of passion there for wanting to help her. And, uh, yeah, I was pretty happy with that. I think she sounds way better as uh, Professor Ursula than she does as Shiny Chariot, which is I will bothered me the most. I will agree with you there. <laughs> yes, I, I, yeah, I'm gonna agree with you there. Yeah, yeah, that was probably one of the things that bothered me the most, but, um, I mean, but yeah, for the most part, I was, like, pretty satisfied with that performance, and I'll guess I'll be keeping it out. I have for her and some future stuff. Uh, as far as Caitlin Elizabeth goes, I gotta say that was probably my least favorite performance out of this dub. Uh, she sounded kind of really rough around the edges when it came to emoting, and unlike Alexis, I didn't think her performance really improved enough to work. And uh, and outside of her like big moment where Croy finds out what the Grand Triskelion really is, I don't think she really did too much emoting. I mean, I do think she has a pretty nice voice, and I'm willing to cut her a little bit of slack since this seems to be her first anime role as far as we know. I mean, it's not unserviceable enough, but she'd have to really improve a lot before I'd be really looking forward to seeing her in another thing. And as far as Croy's herself goes, uh, like, I really liked the dynamic between her and Ursula. I thought it was a pretty neat spin on the dynamic between Akko and Diana. And I thought she was like, and I thought the show was really great when it dived into those moments. Uh, but outside of that, she felt a little bit weak as a villain. The whole side subplot was kind of weird, and I don't think we saw enough of her in her thoughts to make her compelling outside of that whole dynamic with Chariot. Uh, but uh, for the most part, I mean, but outside of that, I was pretty fine with her. Uh, mind if I go first for this particular one? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I feel like, interestingly enough, uh, Alexis was the one I was most hard to come around with for this particular show. And why is that? It's... I think it, the general disdain, it never hit me, but I think it's as Jet said... I could never see... I could see her as Professor. She never struck me as Chariot, especially being the emote, like, Moe Idol witch-type person that she clearly was going for. And it felt like much more tomboy than I was expecting for her particular aesthetic, be it, like, the young student teacher or the feisty in it like the innocent chariot or the feisty uh straight up action hero chariot so i think weirdly enough that was the one i was actually most rough on in this show i do agree she has some good moments and she does get to show her stuff but she was the one that like when because judging from japanese to english this is the one i think i had the most time trouble with now, see, that's. I was wondering where your problem came from, where your discretions came from, and you're saying that compared to the Japanese, it did not quite work for. It took you a while it to. Come it felt like to it. this was the one that was the toughest transition for me. I assumed okay. I was going to be Susie, actually, but we'll get to that discussion. As for Croy, I will. In, man. I will. In. Hang on. I will give the complete benefit of the doubt. I'll say this: I don't like Croy either. I. I needed a good 
complete crazy antagonist or a compelling, understandable, sympathetic character. I This character tried to have its cake and eat it too, and it kind of doesn't work for either, and the plan is weird and doesn't make sense to me. However, I'm going to give credit to the doubt to Caitlyn. I'm going to say, perhaps it's a strange choice for Croy, but I actually do think it is an interesting, good voice. And the way she comes across, it does work at being kind of nefarious and scheming or like seemingly friendly and cool and suave but definitely being a little like something's going on behind the thing i feel like as weird as this is the voice would work if croy was better as like a villain because i'd like to see and hear caitlin do other things because i actually was surprised with how much i thought the voice was interesting Perhaps maybe not the best for Croy, but I actually, like I said, I'm not going to discourage what I feel could be new and potential talent. I just think it is definitely, it's one I was a little more forgiving on for some reason, and I thought it was a cool voice. I think that's going to be, that was going to be the surprising uh, give and take. I just wanted to get that out of the way. That's fair enough, because there's, yeah, yeah, because... <laughs> Do you want to go first, or should I go first? I think you have more, a lot more to, uh, you have a, a little more bile towards uh, Croy's character, so uh, can I let you go last? Go ahead. Okay. Because uh, I'll start with Croy ahead and say, I agree with you guys. I don't like the way this character was handled. Because when you introduce a final boss character in the second, at the beginning of the second half of the series... Her dynamic is that she is introducing technology into the school and applying it in addition to magic. Which is dumb, because they have already shown that witches have the internet, but that's they, another story. Well, they have a se they have a separate kind of internet. Like, we see Lote They still have it. the internet. They do, you're right. There's Okay, so, w we all know from reading Harry Potter that technology should not work in conjunction with magic. That's just been, like, a stereotype. Croy is one of the people who's trying to advance the entire wizard and witch environment, the entire world, by integrating... Uh, she's basically trying to use technology to capture the magic from the ley line, which, if you know your magic history and uh, terminology, you know that the ley line is an actual British magic term, I think, from, like, some fantasy uh, books. But anyways, people think that's a bad thing. Like, some people, like, the older people think it's a bad thing. The good... Uh, younger witches apparently think it's all a good thing. We as the audience are apparently supposed to also think it's a bad thing. Just the way it's framed, we're supposed to think she's the bad guy, therefore this technology must be bad. But, um, yeah, it's not handled very well. She brings up some good points. Synergy is not a bad thing, guys. Like, integrating wind-powered uh, energy with fossil fuels, like, mix your power sources together. That's not Gee, a bad thing. Gee, Willikers, that is a great voice comparison, Mr. Clue. I'm glad you were able to discuss a lot about her voice. I know, right? Wait, was that sarcasm? Yes. yes. Yeah. There is nothing that I don't I don't think Caitlyn was given the best material to work with because like you said her her voice sounds very good like she's got the timbre for it she's got some of the acting chops for it but I do think that she's not a very strong actress because uh, Caitlyn's readings come off as a little confused like she doesn't understand the character entirely to be fair I don't think a lot of us understood the character entirely until we get to some of the final episodes 
So Joker's dumb. That's why. It's. I'll, I'll give you in a minute. I'll get you in a minute, Megan. But there's no. Yeah. Yeah. This one was. Caitlin was not given the best material to work with. So qualms I have with it. I am also like you guys said, willing to give her like the benefit in a future dub if we hear. Like this is not going to pigeonhole her as being a bad actress because of this one role here. But it's not the best foot forward either. Uh, what about um, Ursula? On the other end of the spectrum, I really liked Alexis Nicole's portrayal as Ursula. Because here's the thing about really? Ursula is that, unlike the other characters, she is actually really world-weary. Because she is a performer who is past her prime. She used to be the top of the game. Now she's not. And she's kind of got to bury this, uh, this uh, former... Uh, acting bug that she had in her and bury it down and being a more studious adult person. And I think Alexis portrays that really well. There's a lot of gentleness and support to her that you would get if you were someone who had been through, had a hardship in your career and now you're not really doing the job you really want to do. Like I get that from her portrayal. So all you guys who said it took you a while to get around to her. No, I, I think she portrayed the layers of Ursula really well. And I really hope that we do get to hear her in more stuff in the future. Now you may go, Megan. I think for me, I'm going to start with Ursula because it's easier to transition. Because I I feel a little bit like Noah where uh, I kind of am a mix of the the Jet and Andrew camp and the Noah and me camp. Where I feel like the chariot side of her is not very convincing sometimes. I don't feel like she has the boundless energy and the still spark and facade of this happy performer despite what we know is going on behind her by the point where Akko sees her where she is willing to trust Croy who she thinks has her best intentions and ends up inevitably hurting a bunch of children and of course it then boils over to her lashing out on stage and having to go back in. So I think the chariot side of her when she's on stage isn't very convincing. I do think it works well when flashbacks because I do feel like in the flashback she is very much a tomboy, get dirty, doing magic, like Miss Frizzle type wizard. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Um, but I think she nailed, one other aspect I think she nails in Ursula throughout the show that Noah didn't also pick up on is guilt. Because we learned that Ursula is the person who caused Akko's inability to use some magic. And I feel like sometimes that that guilt does kind of come through in her voice. And that unsteadiness and like that world weariness. Because remember, she does have to keep this secret the whole time that she is Akko's idol. And that she also hurt Akko. That's going to lead me into Croy and how much I hate this character and think that it's stupid. Because magic versus technology is a stupid subplot and just get over it already because you can keep old and new and I don't think that the Croy and the Croy and Ursula stuff should have even been in the show because you have Diana and Akko and I don't think they needed an older foil and you could have just had Ursula just inevitably hurt a bunch of people regardless because of the pressure behind her to be a famous actor. I don't think you needed to throw in this plot where she's getting betrayed and that it's a jealousy thing because Croy wasn't picked to be uh, the one to get the seven magic words. That being said, I I don't, 
I think it does lend into why I don't like Croy's performance and Caitlyn's performance as Croy. Because I do feel like she is given a character that has stuff to work with. It just doesn't mean it's very good. You can ask somebody to build a house, but depending on the materials you give them, it's going to determine how good of a house it is. Um, and it shouldn't pigeonhole her from being in stuff, because like Noah said, she does have a really good tone and timber to her voice. It's just emoting and getting across things. I mean, when um, Chariot falls off the tree because Croy tricked Akko into climbing up this tree that will poison her and will cause her to lose her ability to fly forever, and um, Ursula saves Akko... I don't, she kind of has this moment, like, where she's supposed to be kind of, like, more emotional at seeing her friend slash rival get hurt, and I don't think it was there in that moment. I was like, okay, this is a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I'll um, agree that, that there were some scenes where she, uh, we're talking about Croy started to get, um, like, still feel resentful for what she's doing. I didn't quite buy the resentfulness. Yeah, I, I didn't agree. buy the resent in her voice. Uh, because, again, if you're, if you're asking me to become invested in a subplot that isn't, for one, in my own opinion, very good, you should at least direct your actor to really sell it. Uh, and I don't think she sold it. I don't think, again, this should not pigeonhole Caitlin Elizabeth from being in any other dubs that uh, the studio that's handling it does or any other future Netflix dubs. I would like to kind of see her get to do other stuff. I just feel like this wasn't a very good first showing, in my opinion. That's fair. Like, that that was the main thing, is that I I really liked her voice and the way she sounds. It's just, my gripe is, what is this character supposed to be? Is she supposed to be diabolical? Is she supposed to be sympathetic? It's, I couldn't, I couldn't quite... It's like the show has too many subplots and doesn't oh, know what it wants yeah. to do. All right, yeah, we can get all that right, more. We settle talk about down, plot later. Down. We can get to that. All but right. You're absolutely right. But first, with that said, I think that was a very, that was a very uh, mixed, interesting discussion on those two particular characters. Now, with that out of the way, I think it's time we meet our student body, if you will. First up, we are going to meet... The B-Team, or the Extra Squad. Uh, this consists of three uh, fun characters. Uh, Miss Amanda O'Neill, Miss Jasminka Antoneko, and I'm going to pronounce this whole name, so help me God. No, no, don't do it, Andrew. You're not going to make it out alive. Don't try it. Constance do it. Amelie von Brauschbank? Albrecht Burger. Albrecht Burger. Whose name is so long that on her mugshot they had to tape on the extra name to fit it all into one shot. I can believe that totally happened too. Um, okay. So, uh, Amanda O'Neill is. How would I describe her? Um, Amanda. The tomboy. A, no, Amanda, can I no, sing no, a song? No, no, no. I got a song for this. No, no, no. She's a rebel. She's a saint. She's, and the rest of the Green Day song. I was going to say that she is your Sonic the Hedgehog, My Little Pony OC, given life as a witch. That works too. Uh, and Jasminka, uh, she likes food, and Constance is the techie. It also makes a freaking... A, a mech. She makes a mech. Oh, gosh, dang it, mech. It turns in... 
It's a sequence of a couple of episodes. We go from Little Witch to Kill a Kill to Gurren Lagan. Yeah. Like, very explicit references to Gurren Lagan. Oh, that is straight up Gurren Lagan. She even does the Gynax pose, like, when she summoned into the cockpit. It was It was great. That's the, isn't that the only way to get into a mech? Uh, yes, like, like a cool person. Also, um, okay. I, I just find it funny. Uh, I wasn't gonna mention much of plot. Uh, we'll make this quick. Constance is pretty much the walking contradiction to the, uh, magic versus technology subplot. But I know, right? It's, <laughs> I, I, and they never address they it. They never bring they, it up. They never? But I guess they forgive her because Constance is so adorable and her smile at the end of her episode warmed You can heart. forgive it, but those of us who are critical aren't. Uh, I'm not saying... It's uh, okay, such Megan, Megan, a Megan. Way. I'm not forgiving the show for that. I'm just, I, I never said I was forgiving the show. You Whatever. wrote into the Okay, You've got chill. It in the background. Chill. You do chill. Okay. Die. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it right. back. Show by rock. Gotta think show by rock. Okay. okay. Keep going. Who voices these wonderful witches? <coughs> oh, crap. I got it. I need a drink. No alcohol, remember? No, I was just getting some water. Ah, oh, that was a swear, wasn't it? Ah. Dang it. All right. I'm out of the game. It's over. That's it. Okay. Pack it up, folks. We're done. Okay. Uh, I mean, just one swear. You can edit it out. Okay. Okay. Last year, okay. my friend Andrew Lespelter died. Sometimes I can still hear his voice. And then he's in the background shouting, Woman, stop telling everyone I'm dead! By the way, in the comments, if you actually know what movie that meme is from, and you post it, I will try to get you something. Okay. We have taken that off the roll. Well, off the rail. Railroad. Railroad. Okay. You just got railroaded. The act! Actresses who are playing these ladies. Uh, first things first, uh, Constance is played by Jennifer Alex. Jennifer Alex, you'll know for such roles as Azima from Horizon in the Middle of Nowhere, Midori from Ika R16 Virgin Mission, and also in Little Witch Academia as the other of Diana's posse, Hannah England. I'd also like to give a shout out to the fact that Roots helped me realize those two are straight up a reference to Hanna Barbera. Yes, this. In case you question for a minute, that trigger was made up of cartoon fanboys. I, By the way, who remembers the old Hanna Barbera ride at Universal Studios? I do. I'm almost upset I hadn't realized it until now. Uh, Jasminka is voiced by Stephanie Shea. And Stephanie Shea, you might know for such roles as Ilias Fiel von Eisberg from Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works, Sumugi. All glory to the hypno hat. Sumugi Shirayui. Sumugi from Knights of Zidonia Battle for Planet Nine. Chris from Is This a Zombie of the Dead. Akira Kogami from Lucky Star. And Mikuru Asahina from The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. Amanda O'Neill is played by Marianne Miller. Marianne Miller, you might know for such roles as everybody's favorite character in Madoka Magica, Kyosuke <laughs> Comic Ajo. Uh, young Kiritsugu. Wait, wasn't she? Was she the one that Sayaka was thirsty for? Yes, she was the oh, one yeah. Sayaka was thirsty for. Can I please repeat my favorite blooper? Why are Don't you taking it. me to the roof? Paraplegic base jumping. 
<laughs> Don't. She's also the voice of young Kiritsugu Emiya from Fate Zero. Uh, she's also Yuta from Squid Girl and Recon from Sword Art Online. She's also she's some. Also the biggest Yuri on Ice fangirl I have ever met. She, she. I'm also. I'm not gonna say it, but she does in fact have a role in Anohana. I'm not saying it because I believe we will be covering that show in the future if the stars align. So I feel like for these three, we should probably go around and cut and talk about the characters individually. How should we go? You want to go, Constance, Jasmika, Amanda? Yeah. Well, do, do we really need to talk about Constance? Constance is going to be very brief. Okay. It's Constance fine. grunts. That's it. And she did good. Grunts. I feel like she you did... can. I feel like Jasmika and Constance are both kind of like drug, but. Okay, Constance. She's adorable. And she does a pretty good job of doing that. Uh, Noah? I don't have any... Pr- I, I, Constance need to be in way more episodes. That's I all agree I'm say. completely. Yeah. There's, I, anyways, I get to play her in a yeah. video game now, so that'll be awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, mean yeah, I like Constance a lot, and uh, Jennifer or Alex did good with the good. grunts, I guess. She yes, <laughs> she grunted good. Constance building a giant mecha pirate ship was probably one of the best things that happened. Okay. It definitely, it, it was like in the two-thirds mark of the show, and at that point I'm like, <sighs> about the show. But that happened, and I'm like, whoa, oh, okay, I'm paying oh, attention all right. now. So, uh, Jasmika, okay, fellas, fellas, I have a question. Let me, should, please just let me talk. Should we even say anything and just give the floor to Megan? No, no, I have no words. Okay. Nothing. So, all for Megan. Go ahead. Here's go the microphone. Right ahead. Megan, if I give you a three minute timer and let you go, can you do this? Time me. I'm going in. Okay, right. just remember no swearing. No swearing. I know, I know. I'm not going to swear just, over this. Just just do like they did in Fantastic Mr. Fox, you know, where they, they just oh, replaced fudge. curse words with the words curse. Okay. Like, you cussing with me? We're going for... Fudge. Okay. You... Fudge you directing team. Wait, well, hang on. I had to start. I didn't start uh, the thing. Uh, this is going to be a total counter, cluster cuss. This is going to be three minutes. Try and keep it... Cluster cuss? Try, try and keep it appropriate. Try and keep it uh, critical. And three, two, one, Go. Whoever thought they could tell Stephanie Shea to do the fat whale voice is an idiot. I'm sorry. I get it's supposed to... I don't care if the Japanese did this in the Japanese version. Because guess what? The Japanese can actually be wrong. Fat people do not sound like beluga whales. Or blue whales. Or killer whales. Or dolphins. Not unless we're trying. We do not sound fat and slow, and that is what Jasminka sounds like. Jasminka does not talk, but every time Jasminka opens her mouth, it is like a smack in the face to fat people. We have deeper voices, some of us. Unfortunately, when you put on weight, and sometimes some of us have medical conditions that causes more, like, certain hormones to be in there. And obviously, if you know how biology works, if you have testosterone sometimes, it does cause your voice to be a little bit deeper. If you want a good example on how to do a fat to skinny character or a fat girl voice, I direct you to Kiss Him, Not Me. Where Jeannie Tirado, under the direction of Tia Ballard, show you how to do it right. It is not offensive. It is classily done. 
and no offense, Little Witch Academia could have done Jasminka better and done her justice. The show itself is a smack in the face because she is just a walking fat joke. I do not like Jasminka as a character. I do not think that Jasminka needs to exist because she, again, is a walking fat joke. She could have been a decent character. Like Constance. Constance gets an episode to herself, never speaks a word, and still yet becomes a fan favorite. However, the English adaptation could have at least spared the poor little fat joke and given her a little bit of dignity. Stephanie Shea is a good voice actress, and I expect better out of her. Don't pull this again. I know I have no pull as a director or writer, and I will probably be shooting myself in the foot for a California job. But I am not going to sit there as a big, fat girl and take this lying down. If Funimation can do it in a show where the joke is literally about a girl who gets skinny because her favorite character dies, then you can do it too, little witch. End of story. Okay, that was 20 seconds remaining on the clock. All right, good job. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just angry at this. Stephanie Shea is a really good actress. Yeah, she, you're right. That Okay, the character, Jasminka, didn't even have that much dialogue to begin I with. I need like, a drink. I'm sorry. I'll be right back. Just keep Take going. a second to breathe, okay. okay. Yeah, there's... Okay. Continue. But, do you guys feel like there was, like, any... Uh, Anything was written specifically for this character. Like, could you re- replace the character with um, I an animate bo- object? I really no, want to see I, that. I, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure she didn't need to exist, and I'm pretty sure that's probably why they double casted Stephanie Shea because they were like, screw it, we don't need to put another actor. For I this. wanted to see more of this character, <laughs> and you can do more of this character. I just don't think they did a lot with this character. I was almost surprised she was in like the final scene. It was like, oh, you, you're helping. Yeah, I mean, as I mean, I, I mean, I will say I won't blame this entirely on the direction because they I, did. I almost, I'm actually kind of curious they, if the decision. Eh, sorry, sorry. I'm curious if like the decision was like a Japanese executive kind of thing or something compared to like I I don't know how the business things or how the localization decision work. I'm not gonna sit here and judge. I the decision was made regardless. It's just not one that. I was, like, that I know we weren't particularly too fond of, but I don't know if there was a thing. Okay. Yeah. Also, okay, I mean, I, mean, all, I mean, all I know is, like, this is a role where Prime's all from the OVAs for some reason. So I can't really blame the direction too much in this case. I mean, she was already there. There's not really a whole ton you can do to make that sound tolerable, so, yeah. Well, no, you could have <laughs> easily given... I know that that's what they did for the OVA was the same, um... I'd, would you like a bite kind of voice that I, it's not funny and it's not really enduring to listen to. They had the artistic liberty to change uh, the way Stephanie portrayed her in that in the, the TV show. So I am going to blame the direction on this one. The thing is, that I'm trying to say is there could be the possibility the decision was made behind the scenes where they didn't have the liberty to change that or something is what I'm saying as a possibility. I don't know who's at fault. I'm just saying whatever the case is, it wasn't a good decision in our opinions. Okay. Nah. All right, what are we talking about? Uh, we just we're, finished we're, we're wrapping done. up Jasminka, basically. And now... Also, I want to say one thing about this, too, because I was thinking about it as I was going to get a drink. Um, 
Stephanie Shea should have also maybe said something as an actor because she is also an ADR director. And I know that sometimes you don't get to pull that crap, but I'm just saying you probably could have said, hey, okay. let's maybe not do this. Okay, I'm going to actually pull the rug under you from there because I'm not going to say, like, make the judgment on the actor for not saying a thing or not having offense or umbrage to a thing. That is... Yeah, I'm not going to compromise. Don't compromise your job. Because... Arguing and talking back to decisions is definitely not an encouraged thing for an actor to do in general. But we're not we're not telling people how to do their jobs. We are critiquing people on how they do their jobs, but that's aside the point. <laughs> isn't this, the point isn't this entire podcast about telling people how to do their jobs? We're okay. We are we critique and we say things. We are outsiders and fans and we are giving our personal thoughts critiques and opinions there are decisions that we like there are decisions we don't like in the end of the day we are not saying we could do this better we are just giving our personal thoughts we have the utmost respect for actors directors behind the scenes people everybody involved for doing what they do and we give the utmost respect in general now that i think we've gotten all that out of the way let's move on to amanda Because Amanda is fun. This character is straight up, every time I look at her, I see, I feel like she's a Sonic the Hedgehog character where it's like, I'm too cool for school, I gotta go fast. And she's great. She's so much fun and she's got a lot of personality. She also has some, like, glorious, like, animation moments in the uh, first OVA she shows. I I like this character. I really like her design a lot. Uh, she's cool. We should talk about her vocal performance. Let, uh, let's get a little back on track with that. Uh, Jet, uh, what did you think of Marianne as Amanda? Alright. Okay, um, so in the beginning I have to say I was kind of a little bit weirded off by how she sounded. Because it kind of came off as, and I kind of apologize if this sounds a little bit rude. It kind of sounded a little, like, butch. And, uh, the vo- and the voice she went with here kind of sounded more like something I would expect of her voicing a little boy rather than a girl. Uh, but the performance itself I thought was really solid. And while like her, while the voice itself did kind of take me for a loop at first, I thought she got Amanda's attitude off really well. And it ended up being one of my favorite performances. Like I really enjoyed how much she played off Amanda's personality. And I uh, gotta give my which caps off to Amanda Miller to. Ah, uh, sorry, Marianne Miller. Go back. <laughs> Amanda Miller. It's like fuse. She is the character now. All right, Megan. Uh, you go next, but you cannot mention Yuri on Ice at all. Darn it. Go. Um, I really like Amanda's voice. I think that it is a little more on the um, masculine side. But I feel like that works for a kind of princely female character. Because face it, um, if you weren't attracted... Okay, you should not say you're attracted to Amanda. She's a 15-year-old girl. Um, you can have a crush on them, shame. whatever. But if you have a little... If you're a 15-year-old girl and uh, Amanda awakened something in you when she went full to kill a kill on a giant mech knight after a uh, F-boy decided to out her as a witch and tried to burn them at the stake... Um, congratulations. I hope Little Witch was your awakening. Oh. Also, she looks really really... good as a dude. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, but no, I think that I really like 
uh, Marion's take on Amanda because I feel like it comes from a place of genuine passion and how much she loves the character really comes out through her performance. And it it really was very, very nice. And it was honestly kind of watching her episode and her performance um, was what kind of inspired me to text my sister and be like, Hey, Leah, um, yeah, there's this show called Little Witch Academia on Netflix. You should sit down with your daughters, who are six and uh, two, and watch it <laughs> together. Um, so, I, like I said, I'm not going to not recommend this show to especially people with kids, because good anime for children is hard to come by. That is true. Um, I mean, like, I, I want to show my nieces show by rock, but I have to wait until they're at least, like, seven. Um, so... That, that beach episode, or not the beach episode, the... Uh, There's the also pool. the argument, it's hard to do a show that's like, kids can watch, that doesn't also go for the otaku pandering shots. Yeah, and I feel like... It was I feel definitely like, made for the otaku pandering. Yeah. But, um, no, I, I, I genuinely enjoy the performance, and I, I do agree at first that she does come off a little too masculine in the, or a little bit too hard in the first real episode you get to see her which is the broom racing episode but by the time she kind of comes around as the b squad i think she has this genuine sense of sarcasm and at the same time um genuine care for akko so i i really did like it noah i am really glad that i got to hear marine in this role because Marianne. it reminded mary i'm sorry I'm sorry, Marianne. I was really glad I got to hear your performance in this because this reminded me a lot of, like, people I actually know. Uh, it's the one character who I felt like I've actually met this person before. Like, I've worked retail before. I've worked, like, uh, in um, uh, manufacturing jobs in the past. And it kind of reminds me of those kind of uh, women who are, like, more gruff and tough and take no BS from anyone. And I'm, I'm, I'm not swearing. I'm, I'm just saying the letters takes no BS from anyone, and I love that that character in her, because we don't really have an equivalent to that in a lot of other shows. A lot of times if there's a character who's very no-nonsense, they're still supposed to be kind of cute. Amanda's not really supposed to be cute. She's supposed to be a very believable, rebellious kind of uh, 15-year-old girl. So I do agree that the voice acting on it did come off as um, maybe not as crazy as I would have liked earlier on, um, like the first episode where she shows up in the broom racing episode, I expected like a lot more spasticness out of it, but it is consistently the kind of realistic, no nonsense voice of someone who like, like kind of like go down to the pier and like go smash cars with, or like go spray painting the car, or, like spray painting the trains. And like, I, I don't know what, to, I, I, I don't break the law. I'm sorry. I'm not that bad of a person, but she still makes it what, sound you cool. Never mean you climbed, you've never climbed a fence to break into a lot in New York City to play some baseball? I have never broken into a liposuction clinic to steal the liposuction and make soap out of it. I'm sorry. I have several questions about that statement, but please continue discussing. You've never kidnapped an invisible baby before. Okay, I did do that, That's but I returned it the next day, so I, you know, I'm not as Well, you're you know, better criminal. than Grandpa Joestar. I, that is true. That is true. <laughs> No, th this character does not have anyone else quite like her in any show, I, in any anime I've seen before. So, I'm glad that she's in here. I, The only problem I have is that the introduction of all three of these characters just comes out of nowhere. Because 
the OVA introduces them. Um, the OVA, um, the Enchanted Parade. Yes. So if, but if you've never seen those before, if you're just going to the show, all they're just kind of there. The OVAs, yeah. They just are suddenly they're just like shoved into the ca- into the main cast. It's like where they're did the these people girls. come from? It's yeah. So and that that bugged me a little bit because the first episode of this TV show actually shows the introduction of the three main characters to each other. So I thought, okay, if they're going to retread some stuff that we've already seen in the OVAs, they'll probably have like at least a little bit of an introduction, like maybe a flashback to how the three of them met the other three, and it will feel more complete. It's just one of the many problems I have with the direction in the show, for, on the Japanese side, not the voice acting. If we're also going to nitpick about OVA to anime, I also thought that I liked in the OVA the way that the shiny rod was found in that in comparison to it just sort of popping out of the ground. But that's another point entirely. I really uh, like Marianne as uh, Amanda. I forgot her name for a second. I I really like Marianne as Amanda a lot. She is like this very very tomboyish character but she's very no nonsense i do what i want free spirit but not to the point that it's like obnoxious or she's just rude to people she's just kind of like i do what i want what i want but she's like she's good with her friends she's good with all that she that episode she had with akko was a lot of fun she had a lot of really cool suave moments and uh, i love how she's the speedster with a spirit that longs to be free and She's got some fun moments. She's got some good chemistry. I love how they're competing to be the rivals to Di- to Diana, where it's like, you suck. No, you suck. Diana, both of you suck. You know what? Diana sucks. I know, right? Let's be friends. Because that's how friendship starts. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, simply put. And that's how they're friends. And th- yeah, no, her chemistry with them all works together. She's a lot of fun. Like I said, she sounds like she's some sort of speedster Sonic OC given life. And I think that's really fun. <laughs> Why do you keep going back? Because every Sonic time OC? I see that... Co- Have you- okay, okay, I want you to look, you at that co- the- look at her hair. Look at her hair. Yes. Tell me you can't okay. imagine that color hue on a Sonic OC character. Now, no, because I'm not into Sonic. I'm OCs. not either. I'm not somebody who plays I'm the game you, I, where you okay, Google your I name, the Hedgehog. I want you know, someone, you know. Wait. Listen to me. Listen to me. I want you, when Sonic you know Forces when. to come out. I want somebody to color that to take that color scheme for Amanda. Make it a speedster. You can do whatever species you want and name it Amanda the whatever. <laughs> I want that to be somebody's OC character to just be Amanda O'Neill as the Sonic Forces original character. I need that to happen and if somebody else doesn't do it, I'm gonna do it myself. That is my proclamation. Point is, I think Marianne really offers an interesting take on that tomboy persona and she's really good. Like, previous roles she does a lot of like younger boy characters or sort of like effeminate boy characters so it's interesting to see her actually doing like a tomboyish girl and it's a very interesting take and she has a very unique voice for that that i think really works i appreciate she was given this chance to go with this character i think she does a great job and she also needed to be in a lot more episodes. That's a stat. Yeah, that's a criticism to the show. Have, can we have a side story that's just the adventures of Amanda? I that would like the first thing we see of her in the OVA is like we see her security footage of her like breaking in Lupin style to steal stuff from the school's vault. I'm like, 
There is an entire TV series about this girl Look, that we need to watch. If I see a sequel season or if that's just like a subplot in the upcoming video game, I'll be happy with that. Now, with that out of the way, let's start going into singles. And let's single out none other than the fan favorite. That's right. Oh, boy. We're talking about Susie Manbadvaran. Oh, Megan, are you about to... If you by fan favorite, you mean wants to throw the character into a fan, then sure, absolutely. Oh, what? What? Susie is my second, is a... Out of the, the core cast, she is my second. She's my third least favorite bot. <laughs> okay. You know, you know what? I, I, okay, I, hey, I, hey, hey. I respect. I've been respectful and pretty courteous. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just sure messing you with you. I'm messing this with was... you. Oh, my God. Calm down. <laughs> okay. Y'all were about to be this wrong. Oh, 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 I was oh, afraid oh, that whoa. Andrew was going to fly down here and kill me. <laughs> like, within the recording, yeah. No, like, we're going to hear the background noise, a door opening up, and it's like, come on over here. I just want to give you some chloroform. What? what I just want to give you Why would I friend, give you chloroform? When I could Two just give you... hours later. Why would I give you chloroform? <laughs> I could just give you some poison mushrooms just on the house, you know? Anyways. Uh, what if the poison mushrooms were chloroform? Uh, Susie is uh, one of Akko's roommates and friends she makes early on at Luna Nova. And she is a very, very, how do I put this? She is very into poison and mushrooms and she is very, very witchy. Well, very... well, well, well you see, Andrew, it's not really a poison. It's actually a remedy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Why does she sound like a Beavis and Butthead character when you do an impression of her voice? <laughs> My God. It's hard to, it is hard to pull off, but yeah, the, well, this character, um, who, who voices this uh, this mushroom-loving character? The actress who plays uh, Susie is Rochelle Hager. I believe that is what Hardy told me that is pronounced. Uh, Rochelle Hager. Uh, as for other roles she's played, she's played Susie. And she's played Susie. And she's played Susie. <laughs> And Susie. This is the Susie and that Susie. plays Susie. This is the Susie that likes to play Susie's. This is the Susie's that also has additional characters in Persona 5. This is the Susie who may be in other roles but not currently listed on other things. And this is the Susie we're going to be discussing on tonight's episode. And this is the Susie who's going to kill Megan. <laughs> and this is the Susie that's going to segue to Jet. Okay. Um, so she was another performance from the OVA that I wasn't too big on. Uh, but looking back, I think my problem was more the style of her performance rather than how well she did it. I mean, like, it's kind of clear that she's intentionally going for kind of dry line reads. And while it kind of weirded me out at first because I sort of expect characters to emote more, I think it definitely worked a lot better for me this time around, and I think it really kind of matches Susie's personality because she's really kind of dry and sarcastic. Uh, but the thing that really won me over for her, though, was like, uh, when she did all those crazy voices for all the different Susies in episode 8, like, you could tell she was really having fun with all of those. And, uh, for her first notable anime role, I think she had a pretty solid showing. I mean, I mean, again, it's Intentional dry line reads are kind of weird, but it uh, personality-wise, it worked really well, and I hope she gets more work in the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Susie's interesting because, as I was discussing earlier, she was the one I thought I was going to have the biggest problem going from uh, Japanese to English. Because her voice in Japanese is very distinct and notable. Like, it is very hard because I so I hear that voice that's like I don't hear Japanese actors I don't hear oh this is other voices I hear that is Susie to me so I was always going to have trouble transitioning to English with that and for a little bit yeah I did have trouble but you know what this one surprised me and she really did win me over in the end and she had an entire episode to go nuts boy did she? And that was great. She got to be Angel Susie, Devil Susie, Little Baby Child Susie, Sassy Valley Girl Susie, as well as Old Lady from Next Door Susie, which was one of the funniest moments of that entire thing, where it's like, oh my god, she had this whole party going, it's like, oh my god, this little dearie had this whole party going on next door, it's like... This is the alpaca Susie. Oh, alpaca Susie, that likes to spit in your face. And... I'm, I'm very happy with how she sounded as Susie, and she really was the one I was most surprised that she won me over, because she was a name I didn't know, she was somebody distinctly different from what I knew from the Japanese, so she had a lot going against her. She didn't have the resume I was comfortable to say, I'm okay with this, nor did she immediately have what I thought was the voice, but she surprised me, and I'm glad to say that she is Susie. So, yes, congratulations. Well, I'm glad because it's too late to change it, just so you know. Oh, thanks. That's not the point. I'm saying there, <laughs> there are people I could say they are playing this character. I could say she did successfully get to be that character. We are glad you approve, sir. Mm-hmm. Good job, Rochelle. And I do apologize if I am bastardizing your name. Please forgive me. <laughs> I'm Megan. sorry. Megan, do you want to take this one? Because I'd kind of like to go last on this, please. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm also, I'm, I'm dying because there's this thread on Reddit called, Hey, York players, what do you name your little ghouls? And somebody goes, my name is Dende. Focus, Megan. Focus <laughs> on the po- topic at hand here. There's a crisis sorry. to be solved. No, um, I was actually joking. I actually really, really, really like Rachel Hager as uh, Susie. Because Susie sounds very distinct from all the other characters. And I tend to like very distinct sounding performances. And I think she makes Susie sound like Susie just crawled out of a swamp. Because Susie probably did just crawl out of a swamp. Um, and I'll agree with Andrew that the Susie Land episode where we learned that Susie probably ate too many mushrooms and hung out in the 70s at one point. And why is there a dragon in the kitchen? Um, wait, that's LSD, not mushrooms. And that was the 60s, not the 70s. 70s was Just cocaine. Why is, there, why is there a dragon in the kitchen? Um, Please do not trip LSD and think there's a dragon in your kitchen. We do not condone drug use on uh, Dub Talk. But Why is there a dragon in the kitchen with Diana? Someone, oh. <laughs> someone's in the kitchen with, with Diana. Diana. Dragon's in, in the, the kitchen. kitchen. All right, all right. I know. So All right, I took that on the Oh my gosh, where'd the potion go? Oh, uh, got so close there. Uh, anyway, uh, no, I really liked it. And um, I think that 
sushi does su- sushi su- oh, i hate sushi sushi um, i think that sushi's kind of grumbly weird like nasally kind of voice works um because face it at some point you kind of want to punch sushi in the face because she's a horrible mean person to akko um, like, I legitimately Ooh. don't know why Akko let her be her friend after the way episode <laughs> one went. I mean, the girl did try to make her into cockatrice food. Um, I am not your guinea pig. They actually- But, uh, but I, no, I, 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 I do genuinely think that Susie's voice is very distinct and dynamic, and I don't feel like it would fit into another show, which is really good. Just how, like, I feel like you could not make Rachel Hager do the voice for another character and it would work. I feel like it is something so crucial to my perception of Susie as somebody who's only watched the dub of the show. And I think it, it can it be a little bit over the top and cartoony sometimes? Yeah, but have you literally seen Susie's character? Um, but that being said... Noah, let her rip. Like a Beyblade, let it rip. Oh, goody. Because here's the problem, is that I feel kind of guilty not liking this character as much as I did. Because every part of, every part of her makes me think that she should have been my favorite character. Even more so than like any of the other lead characters. Because I love droll, deadpan characters who are funny because of the deadpan way that they deliver their lines. Because they, they belong, basically they belong in a different world. And they realize that, and they're they're just trying to get through it. Like there's a character like this in School Rumble, whose name I cannot remember. I apologize, but the short-haired, uh, dark-haired girl who knows that she's in a cartoon and just acts all droll throughout the whole series. Rachel's performance in this is definitely the right voice for it. Like she has the perfect voice for it, but I do think she was misdirected to be more droll than the character needed to be because it comes off more as flat than it comes off as deadpan. And it does not help that this character doesn't ha- does not have a ton of great scenes. There is the one episode. episode it's an eight, entire eight, episode. Six, she gets one whole episode. Do you people, and I'm asking you wonderful people who decided to do this podcast, remember any scenes that she's in past the fir- in the second half of the series, aside from the grand finale? Yeah. She yeah, just, yeah to be uh, fair... Just wiped off the face of the earth. That's 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 another problem I have with the second yeah, half. So where it's it a great Croy and Croy it's a great Ursula character. Susie is a great character. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can even appreciate some of the maliciousness of her. Like I I think the reason I don't yeah, like honestly, her personally. Now I can, I, yeah, I kind of agree. She's like affably evil. She she is like. I'd even argue that she does actually have, like, some companionship and enjoyment of Akko, because... Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna disagree. You can, fine, you can argue me on that one, but that's... I do think that there is some warmth, or at the very least, fascination and intrigue. Honestly, I find her curious. relationship with Akko more believable than Diana's. And <laughs> I agree, because mm. the... Pro- 
we haven't gotten we, there yet. We, as a viewer, are intended to believe, we're, we're, we're compelled to believe, sure, Susie's got some good elements to her. Why else would she stick around? Why else would she actively spend time with these other characters? She must have some good parts to her. But we are, within universe, never shown any of those moments. She has maliciousness towards the other characters. She tries, she almost gets them killed in a couple instances. And anytime that she does help out the other characters, it's always to her own end. Like, the the broom race, for instance, she didn't have to help Akko curse the brooms with a potion. She did it. What about the sacrifice ceremony? Okay, that's where we start to get a little bit more warmth, but one scene of compassion does not a great character's compassion make. And that's why this character seems to grate on me more than it should. And also because she's just not utilized for comedy very well. It, it, it's less black comedy and it's just maliciousness. But bring it back to the voice performance here. I agree that Rochelle, for what she was given, did a good job. I just think she was misdirected in the way that she handled the, the lines. I wanted to laugh at this character, or I wanted to laugh with this character, rather, but I never did. Okay. We still have three more to go in a plot synopsis. This is going to be got interesting to All right. Bring it on. All right, uh, now it is time for us to move on to Miss Lotte. A.K.A. Yes. This is actually best... my favorite character. Mine too, the best girl in the show. And yes, I will fight you fanboys on that. I love how you immediately assume it's going to be fanboys. when you Like, you got to trust our audience, I, man. Okay, you're right. You well, them. I've been... Uh, you know what, you're right. After the great My Hero Academia fan, uh, waifu wars of now 2017 there is no waifu war in my hero academia everybody just likes them after the great nerd after the great bleach shipping war of 2015 i never saw the oh people died people died from that probably (laughs) i'm assuming due to no facts you know it didn't die anyways is best ability to write because it was already dead Ah, I appreciate a good bleach riff any day, but we must move on. Lotte Jensen is the bespectacled bestie of Akko, and she is the more timid, kind-natured friend, very supportive. Wait, her last name is Jensen? Jensen. It almost sounds like Jensen, which is Disney spelled backwards. You know what? I didn't catch that before. Okay. Yeah, it's sure. with a J. Um, anyway, it's a silent J. Shut up and let Andrew talk. Anyways, uh, the actress who is playing uh, Lotte is, in fact, Stephanie Shea. Um, we have mentioned her in some of her other roles, but it turns out she's done quite a lot of anime. So it's like, I was thinking, oh, I can split this between two characters. How many roles does she have? Over 300. And of those 300, a couple of them include Hinata Hyuga from Naruto. Orihime Inoue from Bleach, Ereka from Ereka 7, Mitsuha Miyamizu from Your Name, and Nui Harime from Kill a Oh god, get her away! God, that character is so creepy and great, but this one's so sweet and lovely. Okay, uh, Jack? Um, I actually didn't have too many strong thoughts here. I mean, it's got a Stephanie Shea doing her usual thing, and her usual thing is typically very good, so I had no problems with her performance. 
I mean, and as far as Lote herself goes, I mean, I liked Lote a lot. She wasn't really my favorite character, I mean, but I thought her character worked pretty well. She had some really nice moments with Akko, and I enjoyed her a lot. We respect your right to think that. We think no less of you. Oh, boy. Boy, Noah, you're the one that's trying to start the fight. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, if someone does not think that Lote is the best girl, that that's totally fine. I, I get it. Like, she's not the most dynamic or the most, like, over-the-top character, which is what some people go for. Okay. Uh, would you like to go oh, next, then? Yeah, Lote's role in this whole show is to be the nice person, and we need that. Not only is she a nice person, but she's also the only person with a family background, like, oh, except for Diana, but we'll get to her in a minute, but the only other of the main three whose backstory we kind of get. Like, we know why she's at the Academy, we understand where she comes from, and we sympathize with her because she has put up with a lot of, I can't say that word, a lot of fecal yes. matter in order to to get through the whole you could have said, you could have said a lot of poop and it would have worked fine but fecal matter is you know scientifically accurate but either way uh, and so i'm really fecal glad that they the fun word they too. got stephanie shay to voice her because like you said jet she's doing a voice that she's done before which is the nice girl voice and she does it really well here like she she i fully believe those big spectacled persona of her when she gets all dreamy-eyed about the Twilight ripoff book that she's excited for. I sympathize with her when we have to go back to her family and she's uh, like explaining about her family's magic shop and how she's going to take over that. There is nothing wrong with this character. Stephanie did none of the lines wrong and without her I probably would not have liked the show nearly as much as I did. You are now also aware that she is literally Rule 63, Ron Weasley. Uh, With less ha siblings. Have you read the Harry Potter books? She's filling the uh, red redhead ginger archetype best friend with the magic family and very kind and sincere. She may be like Rose Weasley, their daughter. Yeah, yeah, maybe an entirely different personality, but... She is, she is very much a Weasley reflet reference is what i'm going for anyways um uh let's see uh megan would you like to go next? yeah um i i do feel like this is kind of nothing new from stephanie shea honestly like at this point she's been hinata she's been orihime orihime um she can do the soft-spoken girl but i think that she gets a lot of lote sincerity across because lote is a very sincere and shy person um to me, one of the biggest highlights in this show altogether is the Twilight, the the Twilight book episode, um, because it had probably one of the best lessons I've seen in a show geared for younger audiences, which is sometimes you don't want to be your idols, um, which was a really great message, by the way, for people. Um, you can be obsessed with something but not want to be the person who created it, like how Akko is obsessed with being Shiny Chariot. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that Stephanie Shea really got it so well done across. And I think that's what also contributes to my anger towards Stephanie Shea as Jasminka. Because Lote, yeah, Lote gets more screen time, debatably. She kind of does disappear in the second half of the show like um, Susie does. Except for mm -hmm. the episode where her family gets turned into to moss and Akko's got to go teach a yeti not to give in to social justice <laughs> not to give in to twitter <laughs> trolls not social justice 
thought that episode was fun. I mean, it, it was, was because it's weird. They needed to get um, away from the school for a bit, and yeah, so they thought, you know what? You know what? I'll take it. I'll take it because it gives low, it gives low take character development, and it also gives Akko character development about maybe sometimes old traditions are good, and you have to go with old traditions. But um, I feel like that, like I said, this does kind of contribute to my anger towards Jasminka because. Lote is so well done for even the times you don't always see her, but, and, and again, it proves that Stephanie Shea herself is a very good actress, but it shows that sometimes, while I, I do enjoy some of the directing on the show, the directing on the show can also be a little bit slipshod at points. So, um, that's how I feel about Lote, and I honestly think she is the best character in the show, because she is so sincere and genuine in her emotions, just even if she isn't um, screaming it at the top of her lungs like Akko, also be I kind of feel for her because at one point I too was obsessed with Twilight. Um, I drink to forget my high school years. Don't we all? Don't we all? Well, well, I, 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 I try not to judge you. I'm stuck in Twilight. We all have our Everything's going I to be I spent my 17th you... birthday waiting for the midnight premiere of New Moon. Don't even. Good to know. No, we all have demons. Yeah, uh, Lotte, uh, Stephanie Shea, uh, She's really good. She's really nice. She does a good job playing the part, and that whole episode where she becomes a total fangirl, you see her go balls to the wall with that, and that was a highlight of that particular performance. Aside from that, she's really good, supportive, sincere, and I enjoy her in the role. Now, I believe it is time for us to go a little more upper class, uh. if you will. <clears throat> I see we have some fans. Um, it's time for us to discuss none other than Diana Cavendish, Yay! a.k.a. the creme de la creme to the school and the everybody-wants-to-be-her-it girl of Luna Nova. So, as for who is uh, voicing Diana Cavendish... That would go to uh, Laura Post, uh, the other ADR director of the series. Laura Post has voiced such characters as Myers from Maki, the Kingdom of Magic, Nozomi Tojo from Love Live, uh, Miki Okudera from Your Name, uh, Fubuki, a.k.a. Blizzard from One Punch Man, and Ragio Kiryun. I'm actually genuinely impressed that he's doing a bloom and crance. I'm not gonna lie, who has heard, who has heard the two remixes of uh, Bloom and Crance to Kanye music? Oh, I lived to that music! Also, for those who couldn't figure it out, Ragio is from Kill a Kill. Seriously, go listen to Bloomin' Kranz, Bloomin' Kanye, and... Just go listen to all of the Kill the Kill Tri remix soundtrack. It's amazing. Uh, cut, paste, kill. Triple Q is a madman, but I love him so. Uh, Jet, would you like to go first? Okay, sure. 
Alright, uh, so I know there's a mixed opinion on Diana, but I actually really liked her character and I dug Laura Post's performance. I mean, I've always been kind of impressed with the amount of range Laura Post has, and I thought she did a good job of showing off Diana's prime without making her sound too snobby, which I was kind of afraid the show would do to make Aka look better. I mean, like, she's kind of snobby, but it's always kind of understandable. Well, you can kind of understand why she's always so frustrated with how Akko behaves. Uh, and the moment that really uh, got me with her performance was during Diana's mini-arc with her family, and where we finally get to to see her let her guard down a little bit, and we see just how much she had to work to get where she is. I thought Laura Pose, like, really sold every moment of that breakdown, and it uh, pretty much helped to turn Dan into my favorite character for pretty much the remainder of the show. I uh, thought, yeah, I think it was a really good fall to Akko, and I'm glad the show put more emphasis on that in the second half. Uh, because I thought it really did a lot of wonders for Alco's character, too. And uh, it really helped to make the finale worthwhile. So, uh, yep, uh, Diana was real good. I wouldn't say she was my favorite character, yes, but I, I would yeah, agree. I, I, mean, I thought I, she was yeah, fun. Okay, when I, again, when I, say second, I when I say favorite character, I mean specifically just for the second half of the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not faulting you either way. I just say I think, thought it was interesting. I do agree, agree. Like, I think my main concern was I thought she was going to be extremely uber uh, bratty to it. Like, she's already got that holier-than-thou thing going on. But it didn't, like, the show never really struck me as they were putting emphasis on, like, that she she was... Okay, how do, how do I describe this? She wasn't shoving it in her face that she was better. She just sort of was and just kind of lived with it and just lived it was. It was everybody else who was holding her on a pedestal and all that. Like, she mainly gets fr frustrated when... She gets frustrated when Akko is just sort of kind of being a brat or trying to get the easy way out when she, of course, had to work, which we learned. She had to work really hard, extra hard, and I did... Like I said, whether or not you felt Andrew was necessary, it is a similar dynamic, and I do think it worked really well for Diana, at the very least. I enjoyed her coming around to that. I do agree that something you said, the way she became friends with Akko was weird, but... They sort of, like, I think they need more time to do stuff with that, but that's another thing for another time. I enjoy Laura Post. I think she, she plays an interesting portrayal of the character playing that, like, rich girl type, but she does have a lot of beats to work with in her arc and in the finale. I thought it worked pretty well, and even when she is being the holier-than-thou, I thought she added a lot of range to that. I went first with that because I'm aware that uh, Jet and I are on one side of the coin, and you two are another. Who would like to go first? Um, do you, do you want to take this one, Megan? Oh, boy. Or, or do you want me to go first? Oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go, because oh, okay. um, I don't want to be the ranter the entire episode. Well, that's what, um, we, that's what we pay you for. Sometimes I wish you didn't pay. If you're going to start paying me for that stuff, you should actively start paying me in Google Play. I accept bribery in Google Pay cards. I, I only um, pay people in um, uh, uh, Chuck, e. Cheese and, uh, Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Look, stop paying your library fines in Chuck E. Cheese tokens. <laughs> I will take away both of your Chuck E. Cheese to Ace tokens Please, if we don't. Please, Daddy, don't. Uh, no, but um, I... I 
I'm kind of disappointed in this performance because I expect better out of Laura and Post. Um, I don't like it. I, I, I feel like she is too snobby and I don't feel like there is any, um, I don't feel like there's anything there to back up what arc the character has. I feel like Diana is a very good character who I do not like because I cannot get into it from the performance aspect of it. I, I feel like if the show had focused more on them like they had done in the OVA, I would have liked it more because I like the performance of Diana in the OVA because she is snobby and rude and antagonistic. In this show, it feels like she... Really? Yes, I like Diana's performance in the OVA better than I liked it in this show. And for me, here's the thing. Lauren Post can go there. You mentioned Nozomi from Love Live, which is probably one of my favorite Warren Post performances because Nozomi has this moment where she um, does put up a facade towards the other girls. And um, I hate to spoil this for Hardy because Hardy is going to be watching Love Live. Um, but Maki, Caitlin's character, calls her out on it and says, you're, you're trying to enjoy this day about us and understand what love is so that the girls can write a love a love song even though they're all a bunch of 15 to 18 year old high school girls and she has this moment where she opens up about how her family used to move around a lot until she got to Otonokizaka and met Ellie and she latched herself onto Ellie and kind of Ellie was her first friend and she has this very outwardly kind of mother washy-washy persona but deep down she does uh, very much care for the girls as her own family because her family is very distant. So she's had to work through all of this, not only in the two years prior to the start of the show Love Life, but in itself um, as the journey of Muse happens. And take Love Life for what it is. Love Life is, as much as I enjoy it, we all know it is a corporate sunrise idol Lantis cash grab. But Lauren Post's performance as Nozomi is very convincing. And I can get behind Nozomi's arc in one episode, because it is one episode dedicated to her, than I could getting behind some of Diana. And I have a question. What? I have a question. Because Laura Post is Diana in both the OVAs and the TV show. I don't so know I what So I have happened. a question now. I have a question. I, is your problem the performance, or is your problem the change in direction for the character? It could be both, honestly. It could be both. It's Sometimes I feel like I don't think that Diana earned it as a character to become... Though, okay, if you've watched the, this whole show the whole way through, I don't see why it's Diana who gets to be with Akko at the end for the reason... The only other reason that I think she's there is to be the foil to Croy and Ursula being unable to unlock all seven words. I feel like that honor should have gone to Lote and Susie as a threesome, not a pair. And I feel like that change in direction ultimately affected how Lauren's performance came through the character. She could have, if the show wasn't so jumbled up at times, I feel like she genuinely could, could have... It could have been better because I will admit with Jet, I was really behind her mini arc in the second half of the series, especially because it does work with the show's themes of old 
um, old magic and heritage and um, commitment to duty versus new magic getting into it not by tradition but by some flash in the pan idol thing. Um, but I'm gonna let Noah take over because I've already talked for way too long. Well, I'm going to take the, the ball you've got, and I'm going to keep running with it, because a lot of your problems I have as well. I'll, however, I think I like Laura's performance a lot more. Um, so I'm actually more on Andrew and Jet's side of this, um, but not for the same reasons. So I'm not saying that it's the worst performance ever, like, no, made we, it, lulls, no. But I do feel like, especially with the actress behind it, I expect a little better. Well, the thing about, um, okay, her character is one who, from the get-go, from the very beginning, we assume is going to be the witchy rival who uh, is so stuck up and so rich and so by the book that Akko's personality, which is very unconventionally uh, spastic and optimistic, has to clash with it. The two of them should not be allowed to work together because of their contrasting personalities. But the thing we learn about Diane is that she is not she okay she's not just carrying the wisdom of her family and she's not just maintaining rules because for the sake of rules you know she's not a teacher's pet she's actually very humble about her skills but she got those skills through hard work which is something like you've said before megan that this was a show that you would encourage children uh, is good for children that is a quality in diane that you should be encouraging to our children the belief that if you want something you should work hard for it you might get a little uppity about it, and you might look down on other people who are not working hard because you know they have the potential for it, but you yourself have the ability to do great things, to be a great magician, or to do well in your career, or to overcome weaknesses you may have. Because as we find out near the end, Diane and Akko actually have a very similar weakness. But she gets over it, not by wishing for it, but by actually trying and succeeding. So Laura's performance of it was not as wit as bratty as uh, it could have been. And I appreciate that. Because otherwise, you're going to have a character who is impossible to like. I didn't really like her at the beginning. But as the show went on, I liked her a lot more. And I liked that the show felt like it was trying to subvert the trope of the bratty character who is like the star pupil. There was a show that this reminds me of a lot. There's a show called Kaleidostar. That's a I love Kaleido Star. Thank Let me guess. Is it we spent this entire section talking about like two other shows. I know. You know what? We're here. Okay, I, I'll just very briefly, I promise. This whole show, the whole show of, of uh, Little Bitch Academia reminded me of Kaleido Star. It's also a show about a Japanese girl who is enthralled by a performance she sees when she's young, moves to a foreign country to become a part of that culture, and goes through hardships to become the like to become part of well in uh, kaleidostar it's a it's like a cirque de soleil show or in this case here to be a great magician and there's also in kaleidostar a blonde haired superstar character who starts oh my god oh, it really right. is kaleidostar it's exactly the same show except for kaleidostar is a much more likable show thank you okay get on with okay, it so the point is is that laura has a lot of parts of her to play she never becomes insufferable to me, even when the character is a bit insufferable. And I buy, like, the, the key thing is I buy the transformation near the end when she starts to open up more and she becomes 
uh, Akko's uh, number two in the final battle. Like, I buy that. It was built up. I, I cannot get behind that. I'm sorry. And uh, I understand. He did not deserve to be Akko's the number only, two. Now, the only reason why... I can agree with you, Megan, in that from a logic standpoint, she shouldn't have been. But Susie and Lote were not developed enough throughout the show because the writers did not know enough what to do with those characters. They liked Diane more, and therefore they gave her more parts. I will say this though, she's not the worst performance in there. I'm just a little, I'm disappointed, but I can see the other side of the argument, especially especially Jet with the mini arc with her family. I think Laura Pose did fantastic there. It also just sounds like you really did prefer the character's interpretation in the OVA more than the actual anime. I mean, so. if you're going to give the show a villain, you already had a perfectly good one right there. But the villain... I mean, it would have... Does enough. the villain have to be a character, though? Because, like, throughout the first... Yeah, honestly, why does the show need a villain in the first place? But that's an argument for another That's another day. argument in and of itself. Maybe for the next... I think... I think you've made your point. I think you made your point. All right! Holy, holy wow, we are two hours into this, and we are finally reaching the end of our journey. The end of our journey where we discuss Atsuko Kagari, a.k.a. Akko, the little witch who does not have any discernible magic skill, but she dreams of being like her idol, Shiny Cherry. She's the, she's As, the chica of, of Little Witch Octavia. That's true. Only a little less likable. Oh. Okay, okay. So, as for who is playing uh, Akko, that would be Erica Mendez. Erica Mendez, you might know for also playing a character named Diane in The Seven Deadly Sins. Yay. Aladdin from Magi. Sailor Uranus from Sailor Moon. Gone Freaks from Hunter Hunter and Ryuko Don't Lose Your Way Matoi from Kill a Kill. Playing the complete and total opposite of the spectrum from Ryuko is Akko. Cause Ryuko is full on hardcore tomboy to preppy, bouncy, sparkle in her eyes, spring in her step, having the time of her life. Ryoko is basically Amanda. Holy. Oh my god, you're right. Don't. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. Yes. Oh my god, the broom she tries to ride looks just like the life fiber thorn. Oh my god. Oh, I knew that right away, actually. He finally got it, people. Time of death, 11.08 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> Here oh my lies. god, you're so... This year so we right. lost our friend Andrew Lesbelter. Sometimes I can still hear You're not even saying my name right. If you're gonna tell me I'm dead, say my last name right. How do you say your last name? Lepselter. Lepselter? Lepselter. Lepselter. Yep. There's no spelter in there. Well, I'm bad at this. Aren't we all? But that's what we do. We pronounce names of everybody and get them wrong. Anyways, let us move on. Uh, Jet. Okay. Um, Alright, so at this point, Erica Mendez is pretty much one of my favorite voice actresses. And looking back, it was actually her performance in the OVAs that really cemented that for me. Like, I know I said I had a lot of problems with how that dub sounded, but I thought her performance was hands down the best one out of that dire dub. And uh, it's pretty much the same deal here. Like, 
Her Akko is just a really great big bundle of energy, and it's really hard not to get caught up in the level of excitement she brings to it. Like when Akko is really pumped up for something, you really feel Erica's enthusiasm, and when Akko's down in the dumps on her magic problems, Erica really sells how frustrated she is, and there wasn't a single moment in the dub where I couldn't feel her passion for that character. And, um, so, I also have to say, it's not just my favorite performance out of this entire dub, it's probably one of my favorite performances from Erica Mendes, period. I mean... Really? I, I, yeah, I would honestly really say that. I, I mean, yeah, there's a couple of problems with Akko's character. Sometimes she can be a little insufferable when it comes to her character arc. I mean, but all in all, like, I really bought her enthusiasm. I really liked where that character eventually went. And uh, I'd honestly say this was probably the showing for one of my favorite dub performances from this entire year, honestly. I mean, the, the, yeah. Wow. Okay. A, a, yeah, yeah, dub I, itself, I can. I mean, dub itself is kind of hit or miss, but Erica Mendez did real good here. I, I wouldn't say that this is, like, my favorite of the year. No. But I will agree, Erica Mendez is spectacular as Akko complete like I I love all the things she does. She's got a very diverse range and everything she brings to Akko is really fun. She's got a lot of expressiveness throughout this entire show. Uh, she's got a lot to work with. She's really fun. You feel you feel when she's got her highs. You feel when she's completely defeated and broken. You feel her when she's frustrated upset you feel her like when she triumphs and it feels great and she really adds a lot of energy to that and yeah no i think erica mendez is spectacular and it really does impress me the level of range she has as for the character itself we will get more into that honestly i have no i have no negative things to say about erica mendez azako um you've nailed it erica mendez is a fantastic voice actress and has been for many years, and I, I don't think I've not enjoyed her in something I've watched. Um, I mean, I love her as Deanne and King and uh, Seven Deadly Sins. Um, I almost called it Kill a Kill. I love her, honestly. Like, <laughs> honestly, I'm gonna sound really weird. I think she's a better character than Satsuki will ever be in as Ryuko and Kill a Kill. I, I honestly find more catharsis in that performance I, I hang on I, I i need to interrupt you for a second what was that statement you find her better as satsuki the character i than... think ryuko i think ryuko matoi is a better character than satsuki kiryu in okay all right got it i was um, just confused the way you said that continue I, I i honestly find that performance and the anger and the sadness in it and the rejection incredibly cathartic um and i think that her as Akko is just... You can't not smile at Akko. Like, and even when she... Like, unless she's sad. And she gets across happy and sad and angry. Um, Because honestly, some of the best parts of the show is when she yells at Ursula for telling her to stop going up the tree that's going to, to, to kind of kill her. And then when she's told that Ursula is the reason she doesn't isn't able to fly, I think that she is a believable, happy protagonist, and she get, gets to be multifaceted. And even her happiness is 
kind of multifaceted herself. Like, she's still, even when she's kind of annoyed when they're watching the movie in Susie Land, where Susie kind of sees her as this dopey old Mickey Mouse cartoon character, she still is like, hey! Like, more like a childish annoyed. And I think that's really what sells the character, because Akko is a child. And she's a child who wants to be her idol, but she doesn't realize that it's not that she can't obtain it because it's impossible. It's that she can't obtain it because that's not the person she's meant to be. And I think that Erica Mendez gets that across very well. All right. That was really interesting. Noah. I wish I had gone first because you guys covered all the spots I wanted to cover already for Erica. Erica's. I told oh, we you can make I'm this sorry. quick. No, no, no. I'm we can make this not quick. Oh, we need to get to the It's final a good thing. It's a good thing, too, because, yes. I, I'm racking my brain trying to think, is there anything Erica did wrong? Like, is there any line that, or any part that was less convincing? Because uh, it's consistent. It is consistently high energy and believably young girl throughout. Like, freshman enthusiasm that honestly is really refreshing because we live in a cynical world. We live in a world full of bills and debts and diseases and all that fun stuff. Having Akko have this like this nothing will deter me enthusiasm and the way that Erica conveys that without becoming annoying is really refreshing. I think there's like one uh, episode, the, the episode with um, the Mecca that she's making with Constance where she says that um, my skill is uh, never giving up, is always trying until the job gets done. And that is something to admire. So... Erica, I hope, continues to do wonderful work and will win all of the Emmy Awards, move on to the Oscars, and own her own Caribbean island one day. That is a very specific request, but I hope that comes true. So yeah, Erica Mendez. Akko, good shit. Oh, boy. Now can we bring out the claws? Okay. Good, good job, Erica Mendez. I'm glad I'm not part of that betting pool. And with that, it is time for us to go on to our final thoughts. We will do this roundtable, and I go last. Jenny, Jen- you want to go first? Because you're kind of the more condensed one of us all. Uh, um, uh, yeah, so as far as final thoughts goes, I mean, I didn't have, like, too many strong impressions with this show. I mean, I was mostly just looking to be entertained, and this show did that for me. I mean, I had a lot of fun with it. It kind of reminded me a lot of, like, a kind of old Saturday morning cartoon vibe. And, and it was very pleasant. I mean, I mean, there were parts of it that were definitely rough. I mean, Croy's arc was kind of weird. But, I mean, but I definitely had a lot more fun with it than, like, sourness, I guess. And, and, I, and I liked a lot of the little standalone episodes a lot. I mean, so overall, I'd say it's definitely worth watching if you haven't seen it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, since most anything that could compete with it is currently on Anime Strike, unless Agent Mega Sprite or any of the other fall shows really impress me, it is my current frontrunner for best non-sequel of the year. Wow. Okay. So, uh, Noah or Megan... I feel like we're like we need like a back and forth dialogue because the two of yeah. are probably. Can we just go together? We kind of have the same feelings. On you this. can go together. Just note, I'm the one wrapping. Okay, this. that's okay. Fair deal. Oh. Um, I guess I guess I'll start it off. Go ahead. 
to to call this a bad anime is a gross misrepresentation of the show. This is a very good anime. This is an anime I would be more than happy to recommend to people who are maybe a little bit afraid to get into anime because it does have the technical familiarity of a Western cartoon. But I, I've used this phrase to Andrew to describe it, and I think Noah is going to find it a very apt, um, a very apt thing. Because face it, as much as you asked us to not uh, mention the flicks, um, this show had a lot of hype built up behind it. And as somebody who waited for the dub, this is a show that started in January of this year, and we didn't finish it until. August, not because the show wasn't ended in August. It's because we didn't get to see it till then. We didn't get to start seeing it till the the end of June. Um, I went into this expecting a Lykia movie and got a Disney film. Which isn't to say that Disney is a bad studio. Disney sometimes plays it, they can either be a little too safe, or sometimes they just put too many ideas in the pot and it comes out... Not bad, but not delicious either. There is a, yeah, there's a dissonance between, um, if you've got a lot of good ingredients, you can throw them in a pot and just mix them up together and, you know, it'll taste like an okay stew together. Or you can take those ingredients and you can cook them properly so that combined, their total flavor will be greater than their individual parts. And sometimes you need to leave certain good ingredients out. Yes. I'll admit, I did not think that... Andrew needed to exist as a subplot for the idea of a new generation losing interest in magic. Because you could have shown that through the fact that Akka was not interested in magic for tradition, but the fact that she was interested in it as a flash-in-the-pan way to be famous and bring joy to others. Unlike Diana, who comes from this line from one of the old seven witches who comes from a very noble place, a place of healing. Um, You could have shown that dichotomy through them. You could have really worked with that stuff. But, and I think that it does affect some of the dub. Again, I, I don't like where Diana's character went personally, but I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I think that um, there are some characters like Frank, who while they have good performances, they're just kind of there. Or sometimes the character doesn't get a complete arc and their very well done performances like Lote are kind of, Lote and Susie are sometimes kind of left to, left hanging. Or you have somebody like Amanda who you could have seen more, more time with her or something. Um, I don't think this is a bad show at all. Am I going to put this in my top five of the year no not in any way shape and form this is not a show that satisfied me from beginning to end like aka 13 has this isn't a show like suri Dure children or gamers that yeah it's a weaker show if you think about the parts of a whole that come together to make the show but their their dubs are very very entertaining and very endearing and then you have something like magus bride which is more of what little witch is to andrew it is to me where I've seen the first three episodes of Ancient Magus Bride. And I am very, very, very convinced that if Wit Studio can keep the same level of polish and production that they put on that as they did on the second season of Attack on Titan, that is a show that will become a shoujo classic in the years to come like Oron High School Host Club did. 
I don't think Little Witch is bad. I don't think this dub is bad. But I do think that I wanted something different and I wanted something more. I don't hate this show. I am full, like I said, I fully recommended this to my sister to show to my younger nieces. I could show this to my younger half-brother. I could show this to younger audiences and have them be fully enthralled in hope that they go into watching new anime. That they get, that this spurs them on to something a little bit more uncomfortable, like Magus Bride if they happen to be an older teen. Or if this gets them into something like My Hero. Um, Noah, take over, because I, I think I've said all I can at this point. That, that's fair enough, that's fair enough. And for all you people who've been listening this long, we thank you. And I'm going to reward you by keeping my problems with the show to a very simple fact. My theory about the show is that Yo Yoshinari did not know how to direct a TV series. He is an amazing animator. He's been doing great stuff since the Fooly Cooly days back at Gainax. He's done amazing individual directing and animation before, but he did not have enough ideas to flesh out a full 25 episode series, which is what we got. This is a series that has a lot of ideas about either magic versus technology, the optimism of an outsider into magic coming into a dying industry and supposedly infusing it with like new life. I half expected, like I'm watching the show and I'm looking at Akko's development, I'm thinking, I wonder if the show was supposed to be an analog for animation itself. Like Akko's uh, optimism and enthusiasm at being enthralled by a child is like new animators coming into an industry which is nothing like what they think it is because as many of you who know who study Japanese animation, the industry is very unlike the flashy uh, entertainment that you see in the final product. But that analog does not work out because Akko's optimism is not what changes the day for most of the show. She has to work hard. She has to overcome her weaknesses. She has to study and get her fingers, like get dirt under the fingernails in order to be good at this thing. And she kind of changes what it is that she wants to be by the end of it. It's weighty stuff and it's good. It's a good idea for a show, but it's, it's padded and stretched out, mixed in with a lot of other ideas that start to conflict with each other after a while. To the point that by the halfway point, I'm, I was forcing myself to try to like it. I stopped and I thought to myself, you should never force yourself to try to like a series. That is the one of the worst things you can do is try to force yourself to think you like something more than you actually do. And in being a trigger show, I, I was worried about them uh, blowing their time and effort on all the animation, about like having fancy animation tricks to it, which there are some nice animation bits to it but it was not directed for a full 25 episode series. If they'd cut some of the subplots or shortened it to a more, con a more condensed 13 episode series, this could have been very good. But as it stands, I wish I liked it more than I did. I, I think that Yo Yoshinari needs to go back to just directing the animation portion. And it, he said in interviews before that in directing the TV show, he left the story elements to other people so that he could direct the day-to-day -day flow, and you could tell by the way that the show was written from beginning to end. All right. The floor is yours, Andrew. Yeah. Me and Megan. Okay. Under the bus. So, let me begin this by subverting all of your expectations. How do I do that? Guess what? I was a little disappointed in this show, believe it or not. I thought about it. I sat on it a little. 
it is a different show than I wanted it to be. I think I wanted a... I wanted to see this world and its characters just sort of interacting day-to-day, trying to better themselves, trying to learn together, trying to be together. I think I realized what I wanted this show to be because I realized... A few years ago, this was a concept I wanted to be something I needed. And I realized I already got what I wanted the show to be. And I think Miles from Crunchyroll helped me realize what I wanted the show to be. I wanted the show to be My Hero Academia. Yep. I wanted this to be a different school where there was so much interaction between like the underdog and everyone around them learning from their mentor and trying to better themselves every day as well as just being a colorful world of good written characters and set pieces this show is a more central focus narrative of a character trying to reach a goal and the other characters, there's some good ones, but not nearly as fleshed out as I would have liked, or not as much screen time as I would have liked. And less a focus of the individual slice of life stuff, and more of a focus of the mystery of Chariot, and of the central plot that is Croy, and like magic versus technology. Those were not things I liked. But even then... Well, but- wasn't it kind of annoying that there's like several scenes where... Uh, where Ursula is about to reveal her secret to uh, uh, to Akko, yeah, and yeah, they're like, yeah. uh, oh, it's like someone interrupts them and says, "Ursula, you have to save the school for the third time." Yeah, that was yeah, that just felt like a that felt like a Saturday morning good cartoon obligatory cliche, but yeah. it was anno- it was annoying. <laughs> Keep the show okay. going. Okay, so I got that out of the way to say I was disappointed somewhat, and I wanted it to be something overall that it was. But even then, I feel a passion towards this particular project because this is very much what got me interested in the Trigger label. Before Kill a Kill, before Space Patrol Luluco, before Kiz Neither, before even that light novel anime that people forget is Trigger, this was their project for the Anime Mirai project. It was even in the same season as Death Billiards, which eventually went on to become Death Parade. This was a 26-minute animation that was full of charm, whimsy, intrigue, and life. It was fresh. It was interesting. No longer were we... not. The show was just a magical show. This was not magical light novel where I am the strongest guy even though I am an underdog and every girl wants me even though I looked at them funny once but I protected them from a shield. Therefore they love me. No, it wasn't a magic light novel thingy. It was a magic show. It was a magic school. It was a magic environment with interesting characters, unique potential, a great design, great intrigue. And even then, even with my problems with the show, how it turned out, or that it wasn't what I wanted it to be, I'm glad they saw this project through. I'm glad 
this grew into what it wanted to be. That they got the opportunity to try these things. That they got the opportunity to do these things. I feel a passion to it. And I feel watching this a sense of like childish wonder, an intrigue, because you do want to see these people succeed. And I do want to see more of these characters. And I do like these characters. And I do like this world. And I could see any scenario with these characters and this setting working out. Like, I love the one-off episodes. I didn't really care if the show ever had a plot. I just liked seeing these people interact and do interesting things. That's why I like the the one-off episodes. I thought they were great and interesting. They were so funny. I like the skeleton episode. I like the Susie episode. I like the Yeti Jensen and Moss thing. I like the episode with Andrew and the love potion. I liked that stuff. It was so interesting and even then there's so few shows i could just put on for younger audiences and younger viewers that are anime where i have no regrets or no concerns even some of the shows i like like my hero academia i'd see somebody like minetta or any of the of those glances and be like uh do i really want this with the younger kids or do i want to watch this with my it's family also kind no, of violent can, too I, so you yeah, really yeah stuff it. happens to deku's arms a lot <laughs> i besides the point besides the point i could put the show on for a family and watch it together and get them to be interested and to appreciate it and even then it's a show with a magical girl empowerment angle too where it's like you can watch this with young kids who just want to see their dreams come true you can watch this with little girls who want to see their dreams come true and become part of this and become entranced because there's so few like magical girl or magical shows that really get brought over here anymore so seeing that this is one you could put as an alternative uh, whatever you want to say about how Netflix handled the show, I'm really glad they put this show on the kids section of Netflix because they because, because, yeah, because, because they yeah, really yeah, didn't yeah. have to do that. Like, there, like there was enough potentially questionable stuff that they couldn't have that they could have avoided doing that. But I'm really glad they decided to aim the show at kids. And so, that was the point that Trey yeah, wanted to make. That they've gone on record to say they, they that agree. they intended for this to be a show for all audiences. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, that's true. And even then. This is a project. It is a flawed production. It is a flawed story. It is flawed narrative. But this is a this is not something that tried being the same thing and failed. This is something that tried things, that did things. It threw things at the wall. Not everyone stick, but it did it. And there's so few shows that I see that involve magic or even in anime. Like, no, I've had conversations where you complain about anime feeling too samey, too stagnant, too the same thing. And this is a show that wants to try things and do things. And I appreciate that. I respect that. I respect Trigger because they like to do these things. They don't always work out. Not everything's the best. There's some shows of theirs I don't like. But yeah, you can, things... be, you can respect it, but you can still also be highly critical of it. I'm, I never said I wasn't not critical. I'm saying... I'm just saying that if there are people out there who are going to be like, Trigger can do nothing wrong. It's like, yeah, but Trigger... Believe me, I'm not, I'm not a person who says that. I was very disappointed in Keys Niver, to be honest, and I thought the Supernatural show was just okay. But even then, it, I respect it. I think it is a passion project on all ends, from both the creative sense, and even from the thing I've been neglecting to mention, the dub. The dub is interesting. It is different. It is not what we're usually used to. It is not quite fine-tuned, 
But even then, this is something I feel everybody involved from it, from the production to the actors to the writers to the directors. This was something they felt passionate about. And there are some people in this who I'd love to see in more things, who I want to hear more things. I'd like to hear Caitlin and Elizabeth get more opportunities. I'd love to see Rochelle Hager get more things. By the way, she does piano covers on YouTube. I just learned that today. I'd love to see these people get those opportunities again. I'd love to see Laura Post and Lucia Dodge get to direct more things. I'd love that opportunity but even then i'm critical there's things i don't like it is not a perfect show it is not the savior of anime but this is a project i've been following for a number of years now and honestly even if it wasn't what i wanted i feel such joy and passion for seeing this journey reach this point and that's why all said and done I'm glad I got to watch Little Witch Academia, and I'm glad I got to do this episode with you guys. I will give I will give total props when you mention about the necessity for trying new things, even if they don't always work, in the animation field. Because for as much as we can like some of the tropes of romantic comedies or shonen or anything else that gives us a feel-good feeling for the well-worn tropes, this is an industry that has to change all the time. It can never stay in one spot. You guys, during uh, Anime Fest, talked about the changing dub atmosphere and how that changed from decade to decade. I've done extensive research on the changes in animation trends throughout the years as well. And this, this does feel like people who are pushing against that boundary a bit. They did not succeed in all they were trying to do, but it, do it is the element of trigger that I love the most. That necessity that feeling like we need to push the envelope it's in our blood to try to push things beyond what we're doing at previous studios that's why they left gynax that's why there are some people's favorite studio all right i think we got all said and done all right and with that it's time to put our cape and our hats away and to plug but ourselves. I don't want to put my cape away. I love my. I love being. I live two hours away from the Wizarding World, of Harry Potter. Good to know. Butterbeer on the house. And if you would like, uh, if you are interested in any more of what we at Dub Talk do, uh, you can find us on this YouTube channel. You are probably currently watching at the Dub Talk podcast. You can also find us on Twitter. Tumblr and Instagram. Our Twitter of the three is the most active one we regularly use. Uh, but yes, please feel free to like, comment, and subscribe and check us out. Um, as for where you can find all of us, uh, let's go around. Uh, Jet, where can people okay, find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at DivineMega or you can find me occasionally writing reviews on my blog, Animation Infinity. And I also do reviews on the fandom post for My Hero Academia. All right. Uh, Megan, where can people find you at? You can find me over at QueenEra2 on Twitter doing all my posts and harassing friends and all that fun junk. Um, I don't really do anything else besides this because I love doing this and this is my passion and my uh, drive. So, yeah. <laughs> Though next, you can find me in New York next week, because this will be up on... No, you won't, because this will be coming out after I go to New York. 
That's dated already. Noah! Did you have a wonderful time in New York, Megan? It, it future yes, Megan? I did! My cousin my cousin Karen had a lovely wedding, and... I uh, can't believe that time in New York was so great! It just happened! Yeah. But no, seriously, because I think some of my cousins um, do actually listen sometimes. Congratulations, Karen and Alex! I love you both, and I hope you kind of watch this. Woohoo! Congratulations, Karen and Alex! I really hope I got his name right, because I've barely met her husband. He's very quiet. I can't also, believe- Also, David, can't... stop thinking I'm weird! Alright, All right, right. Uh, I Noah. think Megan is weird, and if you want to hear me talk about Megan's Thanks, weirdness, Noah. as well as um, anything else about cartoons, like the whole world of animation, because I love not just Japanimation, but I love things from all over the globe! Did you, you just call it Japanimation? I called it with those Korean or China or Laos or whatever. See, that joke doesn't even work anymore because one of the shows we are covering this summer season is a Chinese animated show. The thing is, is that I am actually advocating that we stop using the words cartoon and anime and we just start using the word animation to refer to all of it again because there's too much cross-production between countries. Anime is just a marketing tactic at this point. Anything can be anime at this point. And if you want to hear... Wow, I can't believe Ruby is the best anime ever. Love you, Hardy! He's gonna kill you. Can I plug Can I plug my, tw my Twitter handle now? Yes. If you want to hear me soapboxing more about animation, I'm over at NoahClue. Most of the time, I'm either split between rantings about the animation world or showing off pictures of my children because, like May Hughes, I have no shame when it comes to showing off my offspring. Don't go into any phone booths anytime soon, sir. I, not even if they, not even if they travel through time and space. I, I, not even if they travel through time and space. That's that. The, the companions of the Doctor don't end up great situations either. My God. All right, all right, all right. All right. Well, Andrew, what I want you to do is what every companion has done for a time lord in the past, and that is Run. be a meat shield while be I lay. Be a strong, it. empowered female can. You? Oh, okay. Be a meat shield. Hey, okay. excuse me. Donna Noble was not a badly written character. All right, okay. Uh, anyways, uh, as for where you can find me, uh, you can find me over on Twitter at MangaMan9000. Uh, you can also find me and Jet on another podcast we do, the Podcast ONA for Surreal Resolution. And you can also find me now, Megan and myself too, as a moderator over on the official Funimated Discord channel, which is an interesting time. Hey, cheese. Hey, 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 God, you're a cool dude. Uh, and with all that, I believe we can call this a night. I think this is the most straight episode we've ever done. I, I can't believe I'm getting a copy of Flying Witch. It's gonna... Wait, do we actually do it, Megan? Did we finally... We did it. She yeah. did it. She's earned it. No, no one did it. it too. No one, no one. I did not. Uh, no, okay, no one came very close, but you know something. I, I failed. I'm glad I didn't become part. You of know that something, guys. It's really ironic that we weren't allowed to swear when talking about a TV series where the last half of the show is all about finding the seven words. Uh, ah, the words of our Lord and Savior, Carlin Sama. Take it away, George Carlin. Oh, All the world is about finding a place for your stuff. There's never enough room for your stuff. Anyway, All right. it's almost and midnight, guys. Go. All right. Remember, feller. Okay. And with that, we bid you adieu. Uh, good night, everybody. Aloha. My friends. And do remember, believing in yourself is your magic. Tia Freely. 
plus ultra. 